0: check all right i think we're good yeah it's working
1: all right good morning good evening whatever it is where you are i have put together a show i think i think it's kind of complicated um we're gonna we're gonna take a journey through some stuff um and uh we're gonna go we're gonna go back to some old news and it's gonna lead us to some new news from the past couple weeks and I'm excited about it, but I'm also a bit nervous that, um, we may get, we may get a little lost in this journey, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to go through a lot of documents. This may end up being a two part show. Uh, I'm not sure because there is quite, I've, I've kind of squirreled a bit and built a big stack of stuff up and, um, uh, there's a lot of reading involved. Um, but here, before we get into it, thank you for watching. If you enjoy the show, hit the thumbs up on Rumble. If you're interested in supporting the show, then my links are in my link tree and in the description of the show. You can follow me here and all these socials and whatnot. If you want to do a, uh, if you want to support me on a regular basis, Substack is a great way. A, a paid Substack subscription is a is an excellent way to support my work. Um, it's also where you can get this... Uh, Substack is where you can get the podcast version of the show. And the podcast version always goes out before the video version. So um, if you're interested, if you usually listen to this show more than you actually watch it, Substack may be the place for you. And the podcast is free. But if you want to support the show, Substack is a great way. Another great way is Ko-Fi.com. Also, Benson Honey Farms. i got some honey right here. I also have... Some candy, and I also have some 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 soap from them. Some goat milk soap. Uh, this is the coffee soap, and it is my favorite from them. It is awesome. Of course, it's my favorite, and I'm going to put them. I'm going to put these right here. It's clever ad placement, so that right here next to my Ferraris and the lava lamp. I know you guys like watching the lava lamp, so got some Benson Benson products next to it. Um, Main uh, bootleg products. If, you're, if you like to cook at home like I do, their chili, their salsa, their sauces, uh, their seasonings are all excellent. I love everything I have had from them. Um, manly Cans, great place to get gifts for manly men. Got merch over here if you're interested in some merch. And then there's Buy Me a Coffee with Venmo if you just want to directly buy me a cup of coffee. So those are all the support links in my link tree. Thank you guys very much for clicking on those and uh, for all the support you give. All right. here let me get get off of that first we are going to go on a journey like i said through the past in order to catch up to current events and give us some context to current events um and uh connect some dots we like doing that here uh this is going to be this show is going to be kind of a throwback in a way kind of a return to form that i used to have where or kind of a hybrid you know we've gotten into the habit where i'm always reading court documents over and over and i didn't mean for that to happen i just wanted to follow durham's special counsel um and and pay attention to everything going on with that because i felt like it was a huge deal and it was it is and was um and then from that trump ended up getting indicted and so i started following his cases and i'm just always in these dockets following all these court cases um and I do love it but when I first started the show I was more connecting the dots with various news articles and other things and we were doing digs on the show and I enjoy doing that and this show is going to be a little bit of a of a mix of both um definitely going to be a lot of court case documents but you'll you'll understand what I'm getting at in a minute how we're we're going to bounce around a bit um before I get there, I have an opportunity to, do, to use a clip that I'm not going to pass up on this opportunity uh, to use this clip. Uh, this is a very famous clip from a Formula One news conference uh, where a journalist asked a question. And it is just very, very, very appropriate for what we're going to do right now. Listen carefully to this journalist. This is a funny This is a funny instance in Formula One, okay? This is a
2: joke, but uh, uh, it's just so appropriate for what we're about to do. Gentlemen, a short view back to the past. 30 years ago, Niki Lauda told us, take a uh, monkey, place him into the cockpit, and he is able to drive the car. 30 years later, Sebastian told us, I had to start my car like a computer, it's very complicated. And Nico Rosberg said uh, he pressed during the race, I don't remember what race, the wrong button on the wheel. Question for you two both, is Formula One driving today too complicated with 20 and more buttons on the wheel? Are you too much under effort, under pressure? Uh, What are your wishes for the future concerning the technical program um, during the race? Less buttons, more, or less and more communication with your engineers? Can I ask you who that question is to?
1: (laughs) Who who do you want to answer it? Who is it to?
3: Oh, sorry. I'll make it sorry. You didn't listen. Can you repeat the question?
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: One, that's a hilarious moment and, in Formula One history, and it gets brought up a lot as a joke. And people usually introduce it with a, a short view to the past. Um, and that's what we're doing here today. Is we're taking a short view to the past uh, because, as the journalist posed in that news conference, has. In this, in this instance, has Formula One become too complicated because there's so many buttons on the wheel? We are going to ask, has draining the swamp become too complicated because there are so many swamp creatures and so many efforts to drain the swamp that it's confusing, and we're all having a difficult time tracking just who's working for the swamp and who's not, who's deep state, state who's not, which efforts are... Uh, You know, law ordered, uh, purpose towards law and order, and which ones are purpose towards uh, cover up operations. And uh, this is on my mind because of some news recently. And a lot of people are a little bit confused. A lot of people. And there's no shame in it whatsoever. And there's nothing derogatory. I don't mean anything derogatory. A lot of journalists and uh, researchers who I respect and have followed for a very long time are a bit confused and perplexed by some recent developments and are asking what the F is going on here. And in order to understand what the F is going on here, I think we need to one drop our biases and our prejudices, try to open our mind a bit, be willing to reconsider things that we thought were, you know, well-established and check our premises as the Ayn Rand quick, Quote goes when you're when you're faced with the contradictions do not exist. And when you think you're facing a contradiction, you should
0: check your premises. Um, And that's what we're going to do. And in order to do that, we're going to back up. To this. Washington Post. From December 5th, 2019. So.
1: Almost five years ago. Ukraine lawmaker seeking Biden
0: probe meets with Giuliani in Kiev. President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudolph
1: W. Giuliani, met Thursday in Ukraine with one of the key figures working to build a corruption case against Hunter Biden. The Ukraine lawmaker said, after posting Facebook photos of himself with the former New York mayor, Andre Derkach or Andre Derkach said he pressed Giuliani on the need to set up a joint U.S.-Ukraine investigation into corruption in Ukraine at the meeting in Kiev. Durkacz also vowed to set up an anti-corruption group in Ukraine parliament. Giuliani did not make any immediate public comments on the meetings in Ukraine, but in tweets hours later, he drew connections between future U.S. aid and investigations by Ukraine into former Vice President Joe Biden. Issues that are already at the center of the impeachment inquiry, the impeachment against Trump, of course. Giuliani tweeted that U.S. assistance to Ukraine on anti corruption reforms could face, quote, a major obstacle until the, quote, the conversation about corruption in Ukraine is resolved. Giuliani alleged compelling, quote, unquote, evidence of criminal misdeeds by Biden, but gave no specifics. His presence in Ukraine also advances the efforts of Trump allies to create an alternative narrative in the rapidly moving impeachment investigation, tapping some of Ukraine's most controversial figures who have spread theories of corruption and impropriety around Biden, his son Hunter Hunter Biden, and Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. The New York Times, which first reported Giuliani's travels, said he had meetings in Budapest and Kiev this week, to meet current and former Ukrainian officials for a documentary. Durkach noted that their meeting was filmed by, quote, some kind of American television company, but offered no further details. Rudolf Giuliani was has arrived in Kiev. This is a quote, we met up immediately to discuss the establishment of the Friends of Ukraine Stop Corruption Interparliamentary Group. <laughs> Durkach said in a Facebook post. Durkach, an independent lawmaker who was formerly a member of the pro-Russian party in parliament, went to Dersinsky Higher School of the KGB in Moscow. He is the son of a KGB officer who later served as head of Ukrainian intelligence. Durkach wrote that Giuliani could help bring experts, journalists, and analysts to investigate corruption in Ukraine and, quote, benefit strategic relations between Kiev and the United States. Durkacz said he had sent letters Tuesday to key Republicans, including Senator Lindsey Graham, Rep. Devin Nunes, and White House Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, seeking their participation. He said their involvement would help expose the ineffective use of U.S. tax dollars by Ukrainian authorities. Quote, we sent our proposal. We're waiting for a reaction, an answer. We're waiting to see how much how much this is something that the congressmen and senators are in need of. If they want to work together, we're ready, Durkacz said. Durkacz said he handed Giuliani documents on allegations relating to the inefficient expenditure of U.S. government money on projects in Ukraine and other matters. The documents do not mention the Bidens, but Durkacz makes reference to the energy company Burisma, which had Hunter Biden as a board member. Right-wing network One America News announced Tuesday it was conducting, quote, a special investigation with Giuliani, flying three Ukrainian officials to the United States and, quote, debunking Schiff's impeachment narrative. Rep. Adam Schiff chaired the Intelligence Committee that handed down a report including, or concluding, that Trump sought to undermine U.S. democracy and endangered national security. Durkacz did not state whether the TV crew with Giuliani was from One American News. Durkacz and another parliamentary deputy, Alexander Dubinsky, called a news conference in Kiev last month announcing plans to launch an investigative committee of the Ukrainian parliament, claiming corruption by top Ukrainian political figures and Burisma. The company is at the heart of the impeachment investigation with allegations Trump withheld military aid to press Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to open corruption investigations that could have damaged Joe Biden, a potential rival in next year's presidential election. Analysts have dismissed Durkach as spreading disinformation to support the theory, being promoted by Trump allies, that Biden sought the dismissal of a former Ukrainian prosecutor, General Viktor Shokin, because he wanted to protect his son. Ukraine's Prosecutor General Ruslan Ryobashapka said in October that he would carry out an audit to review the handling of all previous cases involving Burisma. No evidence of wrongdoing by the Bidens has emerged, and Ukrainian power, or European powers were also seeking Shokin's removal, seeing him as corrupt and an obstacle to reform. Durkacz, has previously led calls to investigate the Bidens and alleged Ukrainian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. In 2017, he wrote a letter to the Ukrainian prosecutor general's office demanding an investigation into the alleged interference in the elections by Ukrainian officials to hamper Trump's campaign, claiming this had, quote, seriously damaged Ukrainian-American relations. The July 24, 2017 letter came one day before Trump called on the U.S. Attorney General's office in a tweet in to investigate, quote,
0: Ukrainian efforts to sabotage the Trump campaign. Dirkacz and Dubinsky,
1: however, seem to be experiencing difficulty attracting the support of 150 members of parliament, the number required to form the investigative group. Dirkacz and Dubinsky have zero chance of forming an investigative committee, said one parliamentarian Thursday, who spoke on the condition of anonymity due to the issue's sensitivity. Anders Osland, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and an analyst in corruption in Russia and Ukraine. I feel like uh, anytime the Atlantic Council is mentioned, I feel like it should include some like Darth Vader music Tweeted last month that Dukakis and others were spreading lies on behalf of the Trump and Giuliani, Trump on behalf of Trump and Giuliani. Stay away from them. All lies. He wrote exclamation mark. He tweeted Wednesday that Giuliani quote has chosen Ukrainian interlocutors who are criminals and never say anything true. On Tuesday, Giuliani met with another key figure, former Ukrainian prosecutor Yuri Lutsenko in Budapest, according to the New York Times. Giuliani had met previously with with Lusinko, who also has pushed the theory that Ukraine, not Russia, intervened in the 2016 elections. The New York Times reported Giuliani was seeking other meetings with two former prosecutors, Shokin and Konstantin Kulik. Ukrainian anti-corruption campaigner Daria Kalaniuk Koleniak, director of the nonprofit Anti-Corruption Action Center, distra- described Dukach on Twitter as having associations with Ukrainian security services and an allegedly corrupt pharmaceutical firm. She noted that he opposed a system of electronic declarations of parliamentarians' assets in 2015, designed to clean
0: up um, endemic Ukrainian corruption. That was December 2019. Some of you may recall, we've talked about this before. September 10th, 2020, so 10 months later,
1: Treasury sanctions Russia linked election interference actors. Today, the Department of Treasury Offices of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, designated four Russia linked individuals. For attempting to influence the U.S. electoral process, Russia uses a variety of proxies to attempt to sow discord between political parties and drive internal divisions to influence voters as part of Moscow's broader efforts to undermine democratic countries and institutions. In the United States, Russia has used a wide range of influence methods and actors to target our political process, including targeting U.S. presidential candidates. Treasury designated Andrei Durkach pursuant to Executive Order 13848, for his efforts to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Durkach, a member of the Ukrainian parliament, has been an active Russian agent for over a decade, maintaining close connections with the Russian intelligence services. Durkach has directly or indirectly engaged in sponsored, concealed, or otherwise been complicit in foreign interference in an attempt to undermine the upcoming 2020 U.S. presidential election. Today's designation of Durkacz is focused on exposing Russian malign influence campaigns and protecting our upcoming elections from foreign interference. This action is a clear signal to Moscow and its proxies that this activity will not be tolerated. Quote, Andrei Durkach and other Russian agents employ manipulation and deceit To attempt to influence elections in the United States and elsewhere around the world, said Secretary Stephen T. Mnuchin, the United States will continue to use all tools at its disposal to counter these Russian disinformation campaigns and uphold the integrity of our election system. From at at least late 2019 through mid-2020, so that would be from around the time he met with Giuliani through mid-2020. Durkach waged a covert influence campaign centered on cultivating false and unsubstantiated narratives concerning U.S. officials in the upcoming 2020 presidential election. Spurring corruption investigations in both Ukraine and the United States, designed to culminate prior to Election Day, Durkach's unsubstantiated narratives were pushed in Western media through coverage of press conferences and other news events, including interviews and statements. Between May and July 2020, Durkacz released edited audio tapes and other unsupported information with the intent to discredit U.S. officials, and he levied unsubstantiated allegations against U.S. and international political figures. Durkacz almost certainly targeted the U.S. voting populace, prominent U.S. persons, members of the U.S. government, based on his reliance on U.S. platforms. English-language documents and videos, and pro-Russian lobbyists in the United States and used, used to propagate his claims. Today's designation of Durkacz is another example of the Treasury Department promoting accountability of Kremlin-linked individuals seeking to undermine confidence in U.S. democratic processes. Treasury has previously designated the Russian troll factory, known as the Internet Research Agency, IRA, and its Russian financier, Yevgeny Prigozhin, Prigozhin has been designated by the United States pursuant to EO 13661, EO 13694 as amended, and most recently, EO 13848, for providing material support to the IRA's influence activities against the 2018 U.S. midterm elections. Today, Treasury also designated three IRA actors pursuant to EO 13694 as amended, by EO 13.757 and EO 13.848 for having acted or purported to act for, on behalf of, directly or indirectly, the IRA, an entity designated pursuant to EO 13.694 as amended and EO 13.848. Russian nationals Artem Lifshitz, Anton Andreev, and Daria Aslanova, as employees of the IRA, supported the IRA's cryptocurrency accounts. The IRA uses cryptocurrency to fund activities in furtherance of their ongoing malign influence operations around the world. OFAC coordinated today's action against the IRA with U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Virginia and the United States Secret Service. As a result of today's designations, all property and interest in property of these targets that are subject to U.S. jurisdiction are blocked, and U.S. persons are generally prohibited from engaging in transactions with them. Additionally, any entities 50% or more owned by one or more designated
0: persons are also blocked. Next. That last thing was September
1: of 2020. You guys may remember that in December of 2022,
0: Andre Derkach was indicted. we talked about it on this show on episode number
1: 160 i went and looked it up i think it was episode 160 active russian agent andrei durkach indicted for scheme to violate sanctions in the united states word of caution if you're already if you're watching this and you're rea- or listening and you're already reacting to everything i'm reading because it has buzz, buzzwords like election interference or russian agent or all anything like that. If you're reacting instead of seeking to understand, you're gonna have a bad time today.
0: If you've blocked out or set aside things you've you think you know
1: and conclusions, theories that you've you know you've adopted and you believe in strongly, if you just set those aside for a moment and take the information in just as it is, you're gonna have a good time today. Durkacz was added to OFAC's list of specially designated nationals in 2020 after waging a covert influence campaign to undermine the 2020 U.S. presidential election. A seven-count indictment was unsealed today in federal court in Brooklyn, charging Andrei Durkach of Ukraine with conspiracy to violate the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, bank fraud conspiracy, money laundering conspiracy, and four counts of money laundering in connection with the purchase and maintenance of two condominiums, in Beverly Hills, California. Dirkatch allegedly concealed his interest in the transactions and violated sanctions imposed in 2020. Those ones we just read about. Dirkatch remains at large. The charges and forfeiture action announced today include the first use of criminal and forfeiture powers targeting the concealment of ownership by senior foreign political officials passed as part of the National Defense Authorization Act of 2021. Quote, the conduct of this Kremlin asset, who was sanctioned for trying to poison our democracy, has shown he is ready, willing, and capable of exploiting our banking system in order to advance his illicit goals, said U.S. Attorney Brian Peace for the East Eastern District of New York. The U.S. will not be a safe haven where criminals, oligarchs, or sanctioned entities can hide their ill gotten gains or influence our elections. This office, together with other law enforcement partners, We'll use every tool available to prosecute those who evade sanctions and abuse the U.S. financial system, and we will identify freeze and seize criminal proceeds whenever and wherever possible. Quote, Kremlin-backed Ukrainian politician and oligarch Andrei Durkach was sanctioned for his efforts to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election on behalf of the Russian intelligence services, said Assistant Director-in-Charge Michael J. Driscoll of the FBI New York field office. Quote, while participating in a scripted Russian disinformation campaign seeking to undermine U.S. institutions, Durkacz simultaneously conspired to fraudulently benefit from a Western lifestyle for himself and his family in the United States. The FBI will continue to use all the tools at its disposal to identify Russian intelligence operations, disrupt Russian information laundering networks, and bring to justice those who seek to engage in criminal conspiracies to undermine the integrity. Of U.S. elections and evade U.S. sanctions. Task Force Kleptocapture was part of this, and we're actually going to read the indictment here in a moment. Um, I'm
0: trying to decide if I want to read the whole press release, but I might go to the indictment real quick. Yeah, I'll, well, it'll probably help if I read this. Just to give the quick summary.
1: According to the indictment filed in the EDNY on or about September 10th, 2020, uh, Treasury sanctioned Durkach. According to information publicly released by OFAC, Durkach was an active Russian agent. As alleged, beginning in at least 2013 and continuing to after Durkach's OFAC designation, so from 2013 to at least September 2020, Durkach and a co conspirator devised a scheme to purchase two luxury condominiums in Beverly Hills. While concealing Durkach's interest in the transaction from U.S. financial institutions, the scheme utilized a U.S. based financial services professional, the nominee. The the nominee assisted Durkach and CC1 in setting up and managing several corporate entities designed to hide Durkach's ownership interest in the subject condominiums and related financial holdings. The nominee understood that Durkach and CC1 would occupy one of the subject condominiums and the other would be used by Durkatch's children. At the direction of Durkatch and CC1, the nominee established two corporate entities in California. As part of the scheme, Durkatch and CC1 misrepresented details about Durkatch's identity to the nominee. Durkatch and CC1 caused the nominee to falsely represent ownership of funds and bank accounts to U.S. financial institutions thereby um, deceiving these institutions into processing transactions related to, involving, and on behalf of Dirk Hatch and his blocked property. I'm noticing here, by the way, that sometimes it says CC1, and sometimes it says CCL. I think that's an honest mistake, but if later we find out that was on purpose and was like a clever way to disguise something, I would not be surprised, but I'm pretty sure it's on, it's a mis- just a mistake with copy paste or something. Probably the change of font. Something at all times relevant to this indictment, and since the date of the OFAC designation, Durkacz has been aware of and actively working to evade OFAC sanctions placed upon him. Uh, the day that he was designated, Durkacz posted a response on Facebook stating that, "quote, the decision was drawn up on a piece of paper by several congressmen of the U- of the Democrats, probably is what he means, and inspired by representatives of the State Department." But I'm not sure, honestly.
0: Guess who was in charge of the State Department at that time in 2020? Pompeo. Moreover, in the years and months preceding his designation, the defendant spent significant
1: time in the United States, including at the subject condominiums. In in conducting that travel to and spending time in the United States, Durkacz was actively involved in deceiving U.S. law enforcement and border authorities even prior to his designation. For example, in December 2019, so that would be around the time he met with Giuliani, and February 2020, Durkacz was in the United States to meet with U.S. persons and conduct media appearances. To obtain a U.S. visa and to ostensibly attend meetings and conferences related to human rights issues in Ukraine, Durkatch retained the services of a U.S.-based consulting firm, Firm 1. The written contract purported to be between Firm One. See, again, it mixes one right here, and then it puts an L here. So i think pretty sure this is just a mistake it's making. And a Ukrainian shipping company. It did not de- refer to Durkatch. Notwithstanding Durkatch's direct involvement in the provision of services that the contract purported to reflect, in or about and between July 2018 and December 2018, Durkatch paid Firm One approximately $100,000. In a July 2018 email communication with Firm One, Durkach's representative expressed concern that, quote, given the fact that my client, Durkach, is a politically exposed person, as well as the statements he made concerning Ukraine's interference into U.S. elections and the insider information we have in our possession, the U.S. application process could potentially compli- be complicated for Durkach. McGonagall left
0: FBI in 2018. Surely he doesn't have anything to do with this. All right. Dirk through the
1: nominee, continued to conduct U.S. financial transactions in support of his real estate holdings, even after September 10, 2020. Because Dirk and CC1 had obscured details about Dirk identity and involvement from relevant financial institutions, Dirk and CC1 succeeded for a time in conducting financial transactions valued at several hundred thousand dollars in violation of the sanctions. If convicted, the defendant faces a maximum of 30 years in prison. Concurrent with today's announcement, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York has filed an announced civil forfeiture suit naming the subject condominiums and two financial accounts as, as defendants in R.E. and Rim seeking forfeiture of those properties on the basis of their involvement in and status of proceedings of criminal violations of the federal money laundering statutes, the IEEPA, and the federal law criminalizing concealment of assets of
0: senior foreign political figures. Now, Assistant U.S. Attorneys Artie McConnell and Jonathan E.
1: Alger for the Eastern District of New York are prosecuting the case with the assistance from trial attorney Adam Small of the National Security Division's counterintelligence and export
0: control section. Hello. If you've been watching my show since the Durham days you
1: know that Jonathan E. Alger was part, a, a, a big part, of Durham's special counsel's office. And you know that just before the Danchenko trial, trial attorney Adam Small was brought in to help with the Danchenko prosecution,
0: but though he never appeared in the trial. Remember that. So here we have Garcatch's indictment. This is a um, HSD
1: designation. This is Highly Sensitive Document Designation. And this document was filed 16 days after um, he would, the, the, um, excuse me, This document was filed two years, almost to the days, two years and 16 days after this guy got the sanctions from the treasury, okay? So highly sensitive document designation filed. It was approved as highly sensitive document, and then the sealed indictment was dropped. So there's the sealed indictment. I mean, like it was gotten rid of, it, it hit the docket right here, okay? But it was sealed. We didn't know what it was. And then it was there, this is in September 26, September 26, 2022. Um. Then December 6th, the government sent a letter to remove the HSD designation
0: from Durkacz from this indictment. And if I remember right here, let me go ahead and open this up in PACER. Let's see, I already got this, but another 20 cents, big deal. All right, there we go. Let me open this. Open it for me. Come here. Come on. There we go. All
1: right, so here's that document asking for it to be, it's a highly sensitive document, and the highly sensitive documents are the indictment. It says, or yeah, are the indictment. Government respectfully seeks designation of the above referenced indictment and application to seal the indictment, as well as all accompanying materials, as highly sensitive documents, HSD. As detailed below, the application and accompanying materials contain highly sensitive information of interest to a foreign intelligence service, including the Foreign Intelligence Services of the Russian Federation. The disclosure of this information could cause significant harm to the United States or its interest. Background. The aforementioned indictment pertains to an individual whom the United States believes has ties to the intelligence services of the Russian Federation. If alerted to the existence of the indictment, there is reason to believe that the individual charged in the indictment would take actions to avoid prosecution. Order 1A. Should the Russian Federation authorities discover the full nature and scope of the government's investigation, they might alert the subjects involved and/or destroy evidence that the U.S. government would seek later to obtain. Any such actions by the Russian Federation authorities would cause significant harm to the United States or its interests, considering the significance of the investigation. Accordingly, the government respectfully seeks authorization of the proposed order hereto attached hereto, which provides that the above-referenced indictment application. Or the sealing of the indictment and accompanying materials be designated as highly sensitive documents. Should the national security considerations no longer apply, the government will seek leave of the court to remove the HSD. Respectfully submitted, Breon Pease, United States attorney, Artie McConnell, and Jonathan E. Alger. Now, guys, 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 what was going on? What
0: was going on September of 2022? What was going on in September of 2022? Well,
1: Jonathan E. Alger, Adam Small, and John Durham
0: were getting ready to take Igor Danchenko to trial. September Is where they were sorting out
1: the final, you know, uh, the the final details
0: ahead of the trial that was going to happen the next month. Remember that. So around the same time that they're getting ready to
1: take Danchenko to trial, all the interviews are done with witnesses, they've talked to Dolan, they've talked to all these other people, they've got all of their evidence together on Danchenko.
0: They go to trial, they end up putting the FBI on trial, more so than they did Danchenko.
1: They interview agents that were involved with Danchenko when he was a CHS. They find out Danchenko turned over a lot of information,
0: that he was prolific as a CHS. They also speak to one FBI agent who was, agent who
1: was former military who said that Danchenko was definitely former military in her opinion,
0: Russian military, and that he was an intelligence officer. to be very, that she advised the handler to be very careful about him.
1: So at the same time they're getting ready, the Durham Special Counsel is getting ready to
0: go to trial in Danchenko. They are filing an indictment of Andrei Durkatch and saying, this guy is connected to Russian intelligence. Now, something else. Let me make sure I'm opening the right thing. Just a moment.
1: So the order came in, and then the indictment came down. Um, and then they removed later, and that was on September twenty sixth. They they filed the indictment on the document, but it's sealed. And then three months later, December sixth. They send a letter to remove that designation. Here, let me see if there's anything interesting in the removal letter. It's only one page,
0: but I bet I just want to see. Signed by Breon Peace only and Artie McConnell. Okay, Breon Peace and Artie McConnell. So Alger's not on there. If I remember right, Alger was going on to a terrorism trial at that time.
1: They wanted to remove. Okay. This motion is made in anticipation of
0: unsealing the case tomorrow, including the indictment and arrest warrant. Okay. They unseal the indictment, and they get the order to remove the designation. Um and then we have 2 days later notice of a related case Let's see what that is United States versus real property and premises those are the these are the condominiums that are out there in California Beverly Hills Property was held in the name of 7-D Business Bureau Incorporated. The defendants in RIM are also identified in the forfeiture allegations in the criminal indictment. Okay. So that's the civil action that's going on. 7-D Business Bureau Incorporated. And it immediately come up. It thinks it's the. We might dig
1: on that here in a little while. I'm going to leave that open. We'll see. We'll see where we go. And we get the superseding
0: indictment a month and a half later in January of 2023. I don't think. Is this available for free on here? Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm not going to pay for it all over again. That'd be silly. Here's the indictment superseding indictment against Andrei Durkach and Oksana Terkova. Defendant Andrei Durkach was a Ukrainian national after studying at Kharkiv
1: Higher Military Academy. Durkach served as a, in a combat crew commander or as a combat crew commander in the Soviet Union's strategic missile forces. In 1990-1993, he attended and graduated from Moscow-based Academy of Ministry of Security for Russia, also known as the Academy of the Federal Security Service, FSB, of the Russian Federation. Durkatch thereafter assumed multiple roles in the Ukrainian government. In 2022, Durkach was approximately 54 years old. Since 1998, except for a hiatus from November 2006 to November 2007, the defendant Andrei Durkach was a member of the
0: Varkonova Rada, Ukraine's parliament. Varkovna Varkovna Rada. During
1: his time in the Rada, Durkach was a member of the Party of Regions, a pro-Russian political party, which was the ruling party of Ukraine. From 2010 to 2010, until 2014 Ukrainian Euro Maiden Revolution. More recently, Durkach represented the Sumy region in northeastern Ukraine and claimed to be an independent with no political party affiliation. On or about September 10, 2020, the U.S. Department of Treasury Office of Foreign Asset Control added the defendant, Andrei Durkach to a list of specially designated nationals and blocked persons or his efforts to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. According to information publicly released by OFAC, Durkach was, quote, an active Russian agent for over a decade, maintaining close connections with Russian intelligence services, who waged a covert influence campaign to undermine the 2020 U.S. presidential election. On or about January 11, 2021, OFAC added the entities NABU leaks, and ERA Media, T-O-V, to the SDN, that's a specially designated list, the SDN list for being part of, quote, a Russian-linked foreign influence network associated with the defendant, Andre Durkach. NABU leaks was established in or around 2019, and ERA Media was established in or about 2010. According to public, according to information publicly released by OFAC, Derkach. Has been the de facto owner of ERA Media related companies since the 1990s. More recently, Durkach created the NABU Leaks platform to disparage the National Anti Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, or NABU. The defendant Andrei, Andrei Durkach endeavored to sow discord in the U.S. political system and interfere in the 2020 U.S. presidential election through multiple acts in the time preceding his designation as a specially designated national. For example, using his political influence and position in the Rada, Durkatch and his co-conspirators made various expenditures in furtherance of their effort to disrupt the election, including payments for consulting services, visas, and travel to the US and elsewhere, and hosting services for internet websites. NabuLeaks was one of these websites, which published purportedly sensitive information regarding Nabu. Each or much of the information on Nabu Leaks was supplied by Durkatch. And his co conspirators and was design- designed to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. According to Ukrainian public databases and records, the defendant Andrei Durkach was the founder and beneficiary of ERA Media. On Durkach's own website, durkach.com.ua, Durkach was identified as, quote, honorary president of the media holding company ERA Media. The defendant Oksana Terkova. Was a Ukrainian national and the spouse of defendant Andrei Derkach. In some public Ukrainian records, Terakova was listed as beneficial owner and founder of Aramedia. After OFAC added Aramedia to the SDN list, Terakova was removed as quote, a beneficial owner and founder from these records. Part two: The International Emergency Economic Powers Act and the relevant sanctions and orders. The IEEPA. International Emergency Economic Powers Act, codified at Title 50, United States Code, Section 1701 to 1708, conferred upon the President the authority to deal with the unusual and extraordinary threats to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. Section 1705 provided in part that, quote, it shall be unlawful for a person to violate, attempt to violate, conspire to violate, or cause a violation of any license, order, regulation, or prohibition issued under this chapter. Using the powers conferred by, among other things, IEEPA and the National Emergency Act, Title 50, U.S. Code 16, Section 1601, the president issued Executive Order 13848 on September 12, 2018, declaring a national emergency based on a finding that, quote, the ability of persons located in whole or in substantial part outside the United States To interfere in or undermine public confidence in United States elections, including through unauthorized accessing of election and campaign infrastructure, or the covert distribution of propaganda and disinformation, constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. The President renewed EO 13848 multiple times, most recently on September 7, 2021. Pursuant to EO 13848, Section 2A, the Secretary of Treasury could sanction any foreign person who, among other things, directly or indirectly engaged in, sponsored, concealed, or otherwise has been complicit in foreign interference in a United States election, or who had materially assisted, sponsored, or provided financial, material, or technological support for such activity. These sanctions included blocking all property and interest in the United States, or that after, or thereafter came within the United States. Individuals and entities sanctioned pursuant to EO 13848 were added to OFAC's SDN list. Pause for just a moment. This is how EO 13848 actually works and what it actually does, and those accounts that are out there trying to
0: say it does a bunch of other things are just disinformation shills and con artists. All right, back to this. To implement EO 13848, OFAC issued the Foreign Interference
1: in U.S. Election Sanctions Regulations 31 CFR Part 579 on April 29th, 2019. According to EO 13848 and the Foreign Interference in U.S. Election Sanctions and Regulations, a person whose property and interest in property was blocked was treated as having an interest in all property and interest in property of any entity in which the person owns indirectly or indirectly a 50% or greater interest. Accordingly, the property and interest in property of that entity were blocked, regardless of whether the name of the entity was included on OFAC's SDN list. Additionally, any U.S. person or entity holding funds subject to the foreign interference in U.S. election sanctions regulations was required to hold or place such funds in a blocked interest-bearing account located in the United States as, quote, funds subject to this section may not be held, invested, or reinvested in a manner that provides financial or economic benefit or access to any SDN whose property and interest in property are blocked. With respect to tangible property that was blocked— Executive Order 13848 and its implementing regulations prohibited paying for, quote, expenses incident to the maintenance of such property from blocked funds. An individual or entity could obtain a license from OFAC to transact with an individual or entity on the SDN list. However, the failure to obtain their license prior to transacting with an SDN constituted a violation of IEEPA. So, EO 13848 is not this magical thing that means that Trump is still president or any other bullshit but you guys know that because you watch my show Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you don't, I I know you guys are more discerning, but man, there's a lot of people who think it's
0: this magical document. Don't get me wrong. It's very important. It's very important, but some accounts. mm. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'm going to get aggravated.
1: Part three, the Bank Secrecy Act, United States Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, was responsible for administering the Bank Secrecy Act, 31 U.S.C. 5311, in furtherance of its mission to safeguard U.S. financial systems. Additionally, an amendment to the Bank Secrecy Act incorporated provisions of the USA Patriot Act. Right. Part four, bank fraud scheme and purchase. Beginning in at least 2013, the defendants Andre Durkach and Oksana Terakova devised a scheme to purchase two condominiums in Beverly
0: Hills. We read all of this basically in the announcement. Let's skip a little bit. In or about
1: between July 18th and December 2018, the defendant Andre Durkach paid Firm One approximately $100,000 through a bank account of Firm One. One such payment occurred 20, January, August 29th, 2018. When twenty five thousand from an account held in the name of Ukraine's shipping company was sent to Firm One via wire transfers through the eastern district of New York, in July in a July eleventh, twenty eighteen email communication with Firm One, Durkacz's representative expressed concern that, given the fact that my client is politically exposed person, as well as the statements he made concerning Ukraine's interference in U.S. elections and the insider information we have in our possession, the visa application process could be potentially Complicated for Durkach. Put a pin in that. I think there's more there. In or about between and in between 2013 and 2019, the defendants, Andre Durkatch and Oksana Terkova, communicated with the nominee through emails and during numerous in-person meetings in the United States to discuss the purchase and maintenance of the condominiums. At the direction of the defendants, Andre Durkach and Oksana Terkova, the nominee established two corporate entities in California, 73DT Business Properties LLC and 7D Business Bureau Incorporated. On corporate documents, 7D was the managing member of 73DT, while Terracova was listed as the president, chief executive officer, secretary, and chief financial officer of 7D, and the nominee was listed as the director. Durkach's name did not appear in the corporate documents for either 73DT or 7D. Notably, DT were the letters des- correlating to the initials of Durkach and Terakova's last names, respectively. As part of the scheme, the defendants Andre Durkach and Oksana Terakova misrepresented details about Durkach's identity to the nominee. Durkach and Terakova caused the nominee to falsely represent ownership of the funds and bank accounts to U.S. financial institutions, thereby deceiving those institutions into processing transactions related to involving and on behalf of Durkacz and Blocked Property. In or about July 2013, the defendants Andre Durkacz and Oksana Tarakova met with the wealth manager, or a wealth manager in Beverly Hills, an individual whose identity is known to the grand jury and who was affiliated with a multinational investment bank and financial services company, which will be called Bank One. Durkacz and Tarakova sought to open a brokerage account at Bank One, which account was to be in the name of 7D, with Tarakova listed as the beneficial owner and the nominee serving as an account signatory and without naming Durkacz on the account. Tarakova indicated that the initial deposit would be for half a million dollars, which Tarakova claimed was from the sale of stock in Era Media. Tarakova also stated that the expected assets under management would be approximately $2.5 million and identified herself as a supervisor and 18% owner of ERA Media. While Terakova claimed on Bank One's account opening application, Application One, to have worked for ERA Media since 2001, she stated in her 2007 U.S. visa application that she was employed by a Ukrainian nuclear comp- energy company, where Durkach was also employed at the time. One of the questions on the application asked, quote, any of the, if any of the beneficial owners, authorized signatories, grantors, settlers, creators, trustees, or individuals acting as power of attorney were politically exposed persons. Tarakova indicated on application one that the defendant, Andre Durkacz, was her husband and was a politically exposed person who was currently serving in the RADA, but falsely indicated that Durkacz would not be a
0: beneficiary of the account. After conducting its due diligence, including know-your-customer
1: research, Bank 1 refused to open the account on January 2, 2014, citing extensive negative press about the defendant, Andre Durkacz. When queried about, about this by the nominee, Durkacz stated that the bank must have confused him with another person named Andre Durkacz. Notably, in a subsequent account opening application, which would be application 2, with a different investment bank, Bank 2, an entity the identity of which is known to the grand jury, Durkacz and Tarakova did not mention Tarakova's relationship to Durkacz. Ah, they wised up. In or about 2013, the nominee received approximately eight wire transfers, totaling $3.92 million from the defendants Andre Durkacz and Oksana Tarakova for the purpose of purchasing the subject condominiums. These wire transfers originated from overseas accounts in the name of shell companies, Sokret Limited and James Trade and Investment SA, or James Trade. Sokret and James Trade were registered in the British Virgin Islands. Neither Sokret nor James Trade had any public business profile, internet presence, or discernible affiliation with either Dirkhatch or Terakova. Sokret and James Trade bank accounts were held at the banks in Latvia, Latvia, and Switzerland, respect, respectively. Neither of the bank accounts were in the name of or had any identifiable, any identifiable affiliation with Darkatch or Terakova. The nominee received these funds in a business account the nominee named Client-Specific Trust Account, which also had no identifiable connection to Darkatch or Terakova. At the direction of the defendants Andre Durkach and Oksana Terkova, the nominee transferred approximately $3.115 million of the $3.292 million from the client specific trust account to an account at a title insurance company to purchase the subject condominiums. On or about December 6, 2013, Unit 103 was purchased for approximately $1.65 million, and Unit 203 was purchased for approximately $1.55 million. Both purchases were paid in cash and executed in the name of 7-3-DT by the nominee, with neither Durkach nor Terakova having any visible affiliation with the purchases or ownership of the subject, subject condominiums. The approximately $800,000 that remained from the original $3.92 million sent by the defendants, Andre Durkach and Oksana Terakova, for the purchase of the subject condominium, condominiums, was transferred by the nominee to a brokerage account, which is Brokerage Account 1 at Bank 2, which was opened in December 2013. Brokerage Account 1 was held in the name of 7D, and the account opening documents were completed by the nominee. Notably, as part of opening Brokerage Account 1, the nominee submitted a two-page document from the California Secretary of State, listing Terrakova as the President, Director, Chief Executive Officer, Chief Financial Officer, and Secretary of 7D. Man, she works really hard. However, the application to brokerage account one omitted material information regarding Durkach and Tarakova, as the application did not acknowledge that Durkach and Tarakova is, a, is or has been a politically exposed person. All right, I'm going through some of that, and I know that we're, we're like way back, right? But this is follow the money stuff. This is follow the money, and it matters. And I think it connects to what we're going to eventually get to. Brokerage account two was created in or about August 15th in the name of 7D. By the end of October 2015, the funds previously held in brokerage account one were transferred to brokerage account two, leaving brokerage account one with a zero balance. In or about and between September 15th or September 2015 and April 2022, Periodic transfers totaling $625,000 from brokerage account 2 were made to a business checking account, which is business account 1 in a California-based bank, which we are going to call Bank 4, an entity the identity of which is known to the grand jury. Nowhere on the account application or opening documents for business account 1 did the defendants, Andre Durkacz or Oksana Tarkova, acknowledge any ownership or interest or affiliation with the account or with 7D. At meetings between nominee and Andre Durkacz, uh Durkacz demonstrated a knowledge of and interest in the assets under management by the nominee. Durkacz also reviewed statements from Brokerage Account 2 and opined to the nominee that the underlying portfolio in Brokerage Account 2 should be more profitable. Payments related
0: to the subject condominiums. Okay, hold on. Since the date of his OFAC designation, which was September
1: 2020, right? Defendant Andre Derkach has been aware of and actively
0: working to evade the OFAC sanctions placed upon him. On the day he was sanctioned, an EO 13848 used against him.
1: And he was named as someone who was trying to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Durkach posted on Facebook stating, quote, the, the decision was drawn up on a piece of paper by several congressmen of a U.S. political party and conspired by representatives of the State Department. Moreover, the defendant Andre Durkach has used business account once since its inception to make payments on his behalf and on behalf of the defendant Oksana Terkova to maintain those condominiums. Funds originating from Brokerage Account 2 were also used to pay the nominee for his services. The nominee continued to make transactions from Brokerage Account 2 and Business Account 1 after the September 10, 2020 designation by OFAC. Several of these payments involved blocked funds and were in the amounts of $10,000, um, greater than $10,000, including a $50,000 transfer. Um, On October 13th, 2020, $100,000 transfer on July 30th, 2021, $30,000 transfer on April 28th, 2022, June, $400,000 transfer, um, or wait, as of June, 2022, the portfolio has a value of 400,000. Sorry, dogs are barking. Additionally, since September 10th, 2020, over $200,000 in payments were made from business account one. In relation to the condominiums, which were blocked property pursuant to Executive Order thirteen eight four eight. These payments included property taxes, homeowner association fees, utility
0: fees, and others. According to these records, I'm betting we got a delivery or something. Or the mail came.
1: Hercules is extra grumpy today because I took his sister down here and she hung out with me while I did research for this show. And he cried the entire time. (laughs) It was pathetic. All right. So that takes us through this indictment. And I know that that's pretty dry and boring, but I really think it matters because what, what are they doing? As why is Jonathan E Alger and Adam small, who at the time were working in the Durham special council, why were they also looking at this and going through the money transfers here
0: think there might be a connection i think i think there might be a connection all right there's more so that brings us that's dirt catch right now we arrive at recent news keep
1: all that dirt catch stuff in mind okay keep Keep Rudy in mind. Keep Rudy meeting with Dirk Hatch in mind. We know that Rudy is always wearing a wire. We know that Rudy is a DOJ asset. Okay? Keep, keep Rudy's meeting with Dirk Hatch in mind. Keep his OFAC designation in mind, his sanctions. Keep this indictment in mind. And the fact that it comes from two people who were on Durham special counsel at a time when they were building up towards the,
0: the Dan Chinko trial. And now, where are we at? United States versus Smirnov. Special counsel Weiss, who was investigating the Biden crime family, who Andre Durkach was making allegations about. Special Counsel Weiss has indicted
1: a CHS who doesn't sound that dissimilar from Danchenko with lying to the FBI and giving false information to the FBI. And that's where we're headed next. Um, but before we get there, I think I need to go upstairs because they're so upset. Uh, so let's take,
0: let's take a short uh, music break. Yeah, let's take a short music break and I will be, I will be right back. Hold on just a moment. You haven't done this. Okay. I'm back. I ended up taking a
1: much longer break than I wanted to, and I'm going to end up having to edit this recording. Um, The dogs, I don't know what they were barking at. There was no delivery. There was no mail. Uh, I have no idea what they're barking about. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But I ended up taking them out, letting them run around and play. Even though it's muddy outside, I said, screw it. I'm going to let them play in the mud for a little while. And here I am about 30 minutes later. And my coffee is several, several degrees colder. And, um oh, well. That's okay, uh, because while I was stepped while well, I stepped away and was letting I was on my phone while they were playing outside, I was still digging on this and thinking of more things to include. And so, all right. So in the first part of this show, we we got into the weeds about that dirt catch indictment, and I know it's in definitely into the weeds, but
0: I think it's important. There's probably a reason that Derkach wanted to have those properties here in America.
1: There's probably a reason he wanted to have these multiple bank accounts and shell companies and move money around and um his meetings with Rudy, um, we're going to go back to those again. We're going to circle back. Uh, but where we left off was we were about to get into this Smirnov indictment And so this this Smirnov indictment is giving. Uh, Some folks, like I said earlier in the show, when I I started off, the indictment of Alexander Smirnov is giving some folks who I respect and who are very, very knowledgeable and very, very smart people. um, It's causing some consternation and some confusion amongst them. And. It's totally understandable, totally understandable. Uh, But my approach to things like this, when. um when when I see when something like this happens in the info war, where it's like, man, this this news doesn't make sense to me. What is going on here? Um, the best thing to do is to, uh, step back from it, and consider your premises, and check to see if any of your premises, uh, are contradicting what is in front of you. And if they are, then you need to check your premises and see why is this contradicting? What is my basis for having the premise that I, that I had and why is it not working against this? What would make it work? What would make things fit? Um, and it, it, when we went into Spygate, um, back le- before the Sussman trial uh, on this show, when we started digging through Spygate and I started covering all the Durham files and uh, filings and, um, we are going through all that, I remember saying multiple times at the very beginning that I think that now that we're re- we were reaching the point where, Dur- where Durham was producing indictments and filings and we were leading up to the report, um, that it was a good time to step back and kind of take a fresh look at Spygate. And consider all of this information as if it was for the first time because up until then there had been a lot of filings from different or a lot of articles from different people a lot of sleuthing a lot of osent a lot of uh opinions and theories thrown around everybody trying to figure out what spygate was and who did what and when um all of those things right and nothing wrong with that at all um we were all trying to figure it out and we were using different articles and different uh, documents that came from different congressmen and tweets from Trump and uh, all trying to figure it out. Right. But now we got, or at that time we had Durham making filings and it was his job to pick Spygate apart. And so I think that it was worth at that time us stepping back and just being like, okay, what is, um, what is it we think that we, that we got going on here? Let's let's look at it for the first time, fresh eyes, fresh ears. Um, try and put away all the things we thought we knew about Spygate and consider what Durham is telling us now. And while we were largely right about Spygate, there were a few surprises. There were a few things that we didn't know um, up until Durham. And there were a lot of things that Durham confirmed that we had suspected or... Um, had strong beliefs about. And, you know, there's still more coming out of that. So I want to do the same thing with Smirnoff here and the Bidens, because that's you have to be willing, I think, to approach this information with honesty, intellectual honesty. You have to be willing to set aside what you think you already believe, or what you already believe, or what you already think, and deal with things just as they are at face value, and then be willing to rebuild your beliefs all over again. And you have to be willing to separate what you believe from what you know, what you can prove in court from what you can find some substantiation for. So that's what I want to do here. and I I wanted to grab,
0: that's why I was looking over the side because I was scrolling my Twitter um, or X account. I'll set that aside. I'll set it aside. Um, I might come back to what I what I have.
1: Uh so you have willing to do that. So let's just deal with it as it is presented and see what we come away from there. This is gonna be a rabbit hole. Uh this is yeah, I already got this one open. This is gonna this is a rabbit hole. Grand jury return. This is from Thursday, February 15th. Grand Jury Returns Indictment Charging Confidential Human Source with Felony False Statement and Obstruction Crimes From Special Counsel David C. Weiss Today in federal court, uh, a federal court unsealed a two-count indictment returned by a federal grand jury in the Central District of California, that's the same area, that's the same district where Hunter Biden is being charged uh, for the tax crimes. It's against Alexander Smirnov, 43, with making false statements in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1,001, same charge that was brought against Danchenko and Sussman and many others, Lynn, lots of people have been charged with that one, and creating a false and fictitious record in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1519. So that's they weren't charged with that, or statements he made that were recorded in an official record of the FBI uh, known as Form 1023. So... He filled out a Form 1023, or he gave information that was put into a Form 1023 that was false. So, lied and gave false information. February fourteenth, twenty 2024, a federal grand jury returned the indictment of Smirnov, and he was arrested at the Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas after his arrival in the U.S. from overseas. So, that kind of tells you they timed things, right? They timed the, that grand jury indictment and uh, the filing of it and all of that. They settled all those things in sequence to happen at, as this guy was flying into the U.S. Later today, Smirnov will have an initial appearance in the federal courthouse in the District of Nevada. According to the indictment, Smirnov was a confidential source with the FBI as alleged in the indictment despite repeated admonishments that he must provide truthful information to the FBI and that he must not fabricate evidence, Smirnov provided false derogatory information to the FBI about public official one and business person one, the son of public official one in 2020 after public official one became a presidential candidate. So we can deduce from that right there that it is about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And that in 20, it happened in 2020, right? The indictment alleges that in March 2017, Smirnov reported to an FBI agent that he had had a phone call with the owner of Ukrainian industrial conglomerate, Burisma Holdings, concerning Burisma's interest in acquiring a U.S. company and making an official public initial public offering, an IPO, on a U.S. based stock exchange. In reporting that conversation to the FBI or to the FBI agent, Smirnov also noted that businessperson one, Hunter, who was public official one's son, so Joe was a member of Burisma's board, a fact that was publicly known. The indictment alleges that Smirnov provided no further information three years later in June twenty twenty the indictment alleges that Smirnov reported for the first time two meetings in twenty fifteen and or twenty sixteen as alleged in the indictment Smirnov falsely claimed that during these meetings executive oso- executives associated with barisma admitted to him that they hired business person one Hunter to quote, protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. And later that they had specifically paid $5 million each to public official one, Joe and Hunter Biden. While public official one was still out of office while Joe Biden was out of office so that Hunter will take care of all those business issues through his dad, referring to a criminal investigation being conducted by then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General in, into Burisma, and to deal with the then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General, Shokin. As alleged in the indictment, the, invi- the events that Smirnov first reported to the FBI agent in June 2020 were fabrications. In truth, and in fact, the defendant had contact with executives from Burisma in 2017, after the end of the administration when Joe Biden had no ability to influence U.S. policy after the Ukrainian prosecutor general had been fired in February 2016. The indictment alleges that the defendant transformed his routine and unextraordinary business contacts with Burisma in 2017 and later into bribery allegations against public official one, Joe Biden, after expressing bias against Joe Biden and his presidential candidacy. As further alleged in the indictment, when he was interviewed by FBI agents in September 2023, Smirnov repeated some of his false claims, changed his story as to other of his claims, and promoted a false, a new false narrative after he said he met with Russian officials. If convicted, he faces a
0: maximum penalty of 25 years in prison. So, Special Counsel Weiss
1: met with this guy shortly after becoming special counsel and interviewed him in September 2023.
0: You guys remember Congress and the FD-1023 form that we had so many episodic rollouts about last summer? Where James Comer and
1: uh, the Oversight Committee was saying, look, we got all this information uh, about this FD-1023 and a $10 million bribe, and I just realized I wasn't showing you guys the document on screen. I'm so pro. Um, Remember all that? So, Oversight Committee has been taking flack since this indictment came down. Dan Goldman, of course, and other Democrats, and they're saying, see, the Republicans fell for a Russian hoax, and none of the allegations gets by Allegations against Biden are true. It's all Russian uh, propaganda, just like the laptop. They're all, they're doing the same song and dance. But here's what the oversight committee says. One, we never knew the informant's name. Two, we never talked to the informant. Three, the FBI never gave us his name and redacted the FD 1023 because they said he was so important to an ongoing investigation. Turns out that was special counsel Weiss. Four, the FBI told the committee, including Democrats, the informant was highly credible. No one is falling for this Russia hoax 2.0 that you're peddling, and what's and that's what that's what's happening here. And the fallout of this indictment against Smirnov is that the the um the Democrats and MSM are trying to say that this proves. The buying crime family is not a thing. That it was all based on lies from Rudy Giuliani and Andre Derkatch and this CHS. But let's go into this because a lot of people's uh, confusion, a lot of the dissonance, mental dissonance that people are have, cognitive cognitive dissonance, is based on the notion that well, this guy couldn't have been lying. Right, because Joe Biden and his family are corrupt, so this CHS must be telling the truth, and Special Counsel David Weiss is doing a cover-up operation by accusing the CHS of these crimes when, in fact, he was telling the truth. Right? and that's how it, that's how people are. Go, that's the take people are jumping towards because that solves for the dissonance in a lot of ways. Right, and that's understandable,
0: but I don't think that that is. I don't think that's correct i don't think that's correct
1: and i don't think that um you even need to go there to make sense of this um i also think it's good to be willing to consider that this can be true and other things can be true as well it's not an either or scenario It can be true that this indictment is well-deserved and this guy did lie and fabricate evidence. That can be true. It can also be true that the Bidens were corrupt and had a corrupt relationship with Burisma and several other Ukrainians. It can also be true that that's not the case and we've been told a lie for these years that's not too dissimilar to the lies that were in the steel dossier. That's why I say this is a moment to step back and reassess the things we believe and the things we know in light of new information and see if we can arrive at the same place again or if it takes us to a, upon reconsideration, if it takes us to a new place. And it's always worth doing that because it'll make, it, it'll make you that much better. That's how that's, that's critical thinking right there. Um, that's being intellectually honest. So what I want to do now is I want to go over to this Smirnoff indictment and I want to work our way through it and some of the other documents that have come with it. And again, this whole thing reminds me so much of Danchenko. So much of Danchenko. All right, let me close that. Now, first we have this one here and the Smirnoff indictment came out of California. But there ended up being two dockets for it because he was arrested in Nevada. So we kind of have to bounce back and forth between the, the California and the Nevada docket. And there's a little bit of a kerfuffle over his arrest and whether he gets released or not. And then he gets rearrested and Russian intelligence gets brought into it. So uh, we're going to be jumping back and forth between these documents. But to start off. To start off, we're going to be right here with um, the, the docket in, uh, in California.
0: And I'm checking my volume here on this thing. Okay. Spare Valentine's Day. The indictment comes out. 37 pages. Let's go. Let me just do this. Let me see. What's it look like? Right I like it.
1: Okay, here we go. United States of America versus Alexander Smirnov. Eight charges are eighteen USC one thousand one, false statement, and eighteen USC fifteen nineteen, creating a false and fictitious record. Introductory allegations. Defender, defendant Alexander Smirnov was a resident of Los Angeles in twenty twenty. The defendant was an FBI confidential human source. Defendant was a CHS with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. As a CHS, the defendant was assigned a handling agent, which we are going to call the handler, who was a special agent on an FBI squad that investigated violations of federal criminal law. As vague as they could be. Three, as a CHS, the defendant provided information to the handler that was then used in various criminal investigations conducted by the FBI the defendant knew that information he provided was used in criminal investigations because among other reasons the handler advised him that he might have to testify in court based on the information he provided on multiple occasions including but not limited to October 1st 2010 May 17th 2011 November 28th 2012 April 12th 2013 August 29th 2013 July 10th 2015 and March 11th, 2020. The defendant also knew the information he provided was used in criminal investigations because the defendant participated in a number of operations where he was authorized to engage in criminal activity as part of an ongoing criminal investigation. Interesting. The defendant was admonished by the handler that he must provide truthful information to the FBI when he first became a CHS in 2010. And on multiple occasions thereafter, including but not limited to October 1st, 2010, January 20th, 2011, May 17th, 2011, September 14th, 2011, August 29th, 2012, November 28th, 2012, April 12th, 2013, August 29th, 2013, April or January 22nd, 2014, July 9th, 2014, July 10th, 2015, September 29th, 2016, september 26, twenty seventeen september 26, twenty eighteen september twenty seventh twenty nineteen march eleventh twenty twenty february nineteenth twenty twenty one october twenty eighth twenty twenty one october seventeenth twenty twenty two and september twenty 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 three i bet that would be when he was interviewed by the special counsel in addition when the defendant was authorized to engage in a illegal activity for investigative purposes He was further admonished that, quote, under no circumstances may the CHS participate in an act that constitutes obstruction of justice, such as perjury, witness tampering, witness intimidation, entrapment, fabrication, alteration, or destruction of evidence, unless such illegal activity has been authorized. When the defendant was given this admonishment, he signed an FBI form that contained this statement, including on... October 8th, 2014, January 18th, 2017, October 8th, 2018, January 10th, 2019, and August 7th, 2020. Despite repeated admonishments that he must provide truthful information to the FBI and that he must not fabricate evidence, the defendant provided false derogatory information to the FBI about Public Official 1, which is Joe Biden an elected official in the Obama-Biden administration who left office in January 2017, and business person one who is Hunter Biden, the son of public official one in 2020 after public official one became a candidate for president of the United States. So I'm going to read this as is, but just try to remember that public official one is Joe Biden. Business person one is Hunter Biden. As described in greater, in, de, in greater detail below, in March 2017, the defendant reported to the handler that he had a phone call with the owner of a Ukrainian industrial conglomerate, Burisma Holdings Limited, hereafter Burisma official one, concerning Burisma's interest in acquiring a U.S. company and making an initial public offering, an IPO, on a U.S.-based stock exchange. In reporting that conversation to the handler, the defendant also noted that Business Person 1, Public Official 1's son, was a member of Barisma's board, a fact that was publicly known. Three years later, in June 2020, the defendant reported for the first time two meetings in 2015 and or 2016 during the Obama-Biden administration, in which he claimed executives associated with Burisma, including Burisma Official 1, admitted to him that they hired Business Person 1, quote, to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. And later that they had specifically paid $5 million each to public official 1 and business person 1 when public official 1 was still in office so that business person 1 will take care of all those issues through his dad referring to a criminal investigation being conducted by then Ukrainian prosecutor general into Burisma and to quote deal with the then Ukrainian prosecutor general. So we're talking about Shokin,
0: I'm sure. The defendant also reported two purported phone calls
1: between himself and Burisma official one, wherein Burisma official one stated that he had been forced to pay public official one and business person one, and that it would take investigators 10 years to find records of illicit payments
0: to public official one. Interesting. As alleged herein,
1: I might need to put coffee in. I should have put some... See, I just messed up. I just made a a bad pro move. I should have put the honey in here first. And then added the coffee. So that would have
0: mixed up. But... There we go. VincentHoneyFarms.com. Hit the link. All right. There go my dogs again. Oh, gosh. They are... Hercules, specifically, is in a very, 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 very barky mood today. I'm going to take them a long walk after I finish this. As alleged
1: herein, the events the defendant first reported to the handler in June 2020 were fabrications. In truth and in fact, the defendant had contact with executives from Burisma in 2017. So that'd be this guy here had contact with executives from Burisma in 2017 after the end of the Obama-Biden administration and after then-Ukrainian prosecutor general had already been fired in February 2016. In other words, when Joe Biden had no ability to influence U.S. policy and when the prosecutor general was no longer in office. In short, the defendant transformed his routine and unextraordinary business contacts with Burisma in 2017 and later into bribery bribery allegations against Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee of one of the two major political parties for president after expressing bias against Public Official 1 and his candidacy. When he was interviewed by the FBI in September 2023, the defendant repeated some of his false claims, changed his story as to other of his claims, and promoted a new false narrative after he
0: said he met with Russian officials. Fascinating. I look forward to learning more specifics about this right here. All
1: right, part B. In 2017, the defendant provided the FBI handler with information that Burisma was interested in acquiring an American oil and gas company. On or about March 1st, 2017, the defendant provided information to the handler concerning Burisma for the first time. That information was memorialized in an official record of the FBI on a Form 1023 hereafter 2017-1023. Now, it's a little confusing, but it's the 1023 form from March 2017. The following is the entirety of what the defendant told the handler in March 2017 that was memorialized in that ten, that
0: 2017 1023 form, okay? During the week of February 27th,
1: 2017. CHS Alexander Smirnov received a telephone call from Associate One, a subject of a prior CHS reporting regarding ties to ROC. Also on the call was Burisma Official One, whom CHS understood is the CEO or owner of Burisma Holdings Ukraine. During the call, Associate One mentioned they are interested in acquiring a U.S. based petroleum business with a market capitalization between $50 and $100 million. They would then use a U.S. based entity as the parent company for Burisma Holdings, or a subdivision thereof, which they would then seek to register on a U.S. exchange. This CEO and associate one made statements that led CHS to believe that Burisma Holdings was overstated or has overstated its corporate assets and various public filings in Ukraine, as NFI, in parentheses. The individual in Ukraine who is currently assigned to manage this acquisition is Burisma Official 2, whose title is Board Advisor, Director for International Cooperation and Strategic Development. Email blank at burisma.com. 10A and it lists a, a mailing address, a phone number, a fax number. During the week of March 6, 2017, Burisma Official 2 plans to travel to Washington, D.C. and may meet with the CHS sometime thereafter on the West Coast. During this call, there was a brief, and this is in bold, during this call, there was a brief non relevant discussion about Public Official 1's son, Businessperson 1 who is currently on the board of directors for Burisma Holdings. No further information. Notably, this is back to Weiss's indictment. Notably, the defendant did not report in 2017 that in the preceding two years, Burisma Official 1 admitted to the defendant that he had paid Public Official 1 $5 million when Public Official 1 was still in office, as the defendant later claimed. This was the original Burisma story, no mention of any bribe or anything like that. C. Three years later, in May 2020, the defendant sent the handler a series of messages expressing bias against Joe Biden, public official one, who was then a candidate for president of the United States of America and the presumptive nominee of one of the two major political parties. On May 19th, 2020, the defendant messaged the handler the following. It's all, this is a text message on screen if you're listening. It's all over the news in Russia and Ukraine as well as live calls between Joe Biden and President of Ukraine. That would be Poroshenko. Smells bad for Joe Biden. On that day, May 19th, 2020, it was publicly reported that a Ukrainian lawmaker who met with blank late last year released recordings of private phone calls with several uh, calls several years ago between public official one and blank, then Ukraine's president, be Poroshenko, and a new broadside against the presumptive nominee for U.S. president that has raised questions about foreign interference in the 2020 election. Approximately 20 minutes after his first message on May 19, 2020, the defendant volunteered his view that public official one is going to jail. One minute later, the defendant opined, "Dims tried to impeach public official two, so that would be President Trump, or same, even less, all those politicians, same shit, jail for all of them, plus bribe of Biden should be soon in the news. To which the handler responded, question mark, question mark, question mark. Only if you believe that his request to get rid of the prosecutor general was only because of barisma, which by all accounts, it was not. The defendant offered the following. For sure, yes, I'll try to prove it to you, bro. To which the handler responded. Bribe payment to Joe Biden, or are you talking about the aid withheld unless they fired Shokin? The defendant then further offered the following, I'll get those other recordings of Biden's son telling Burisma that his dad will take care of the prosecutor general. The bribe to Biden and his son. To which the handler responded,
0: that would be a game changer. Defendant then stated, I'll meet with the guys as soon as I will be able to fly. The
1: defendant did not indicate who, quote, the guys were. The following day, May 20th, 2020, the defendant messaged the handler a link to an article titled Senate Republicans issue first subpoena in Biden Burisma probe. It has a picture here with Ron Johnson and, to an Apple News article. The handler did not respond. The next day, May 21st, 2020, the defendant messaged the handler the following. Ukraine opening investigation. And it's got smiley, I think there's supposed to be smiley faces and then a dollar sign. Okay, Biden. I think it's going to help him to be elected.
0: We need a new runner. Let me know when you can talk. Have some interesting update. So this is kind of, I'm, I'm trying to grok his message here. So
1: he's saying, Ukraine is opening an investigation into money. Joe Biden, I think it's going to help him be elected. We need a new runner. Let me
0: know when you can talk, have some interesting update. We need a new runner. Less than 30 minutes later, the defendant messaged the handler the following. and It's this picture, which you guys
1: have seen. And it says public official one and Barisma person one, business person one, was CEO of Barisma. So it says Joe Biden
0: and Hunter with the CEO of Barisma in this photo. We've seen this photo. Let me look up the... Let me search it from here. Just let me, let me grab it. Okay. Kind of, it's kind of dangerous image searching anything that has to do with Hunter, isn't it? <laughs>
1: like, like, uh, you gotta be careful about that. All right, so here we got Devin Archer. This is
0: supposed to be the CEO of Burisma. There's Joe Biden. There's Hunter Biden, okay? Go back to this. We're safe, safe on that search. Nothing, nothing bad came up. All right.
1: Contrary to the defendant's representation, this was not, in fact, a photograph of public official one and business person one with the CEO of Burisma. So they, special counsel Y says that this is not a photograph of Hunter, Joe, and Devin with the CEO of Burisma.
0: So then what is it? Who is this person then? Go to this article that has it. See what it says. In this article, check it out. It says right here in the
1: uh, description down here, it only says Joe Biden, Hunter. Golfing in the,
0: in the Hamptons with Devin Archer. It doesn't mention who this person is. Does it tell you anywhere else who that person is? Nope, it doesn't. Let's search this image and see if we can find any article that tells us who is in this photo. It's New York Post. I want to find an older article, like when it was new. That might be a 10 it. Use ten. Description of this
1: one just says Joe Biden and Hunter and Devin Archer. It doesn't name who that other individual is.
0: Okay, let's go to the oldest image. From September 2019, Fox News.
1: Joe and Hunter Biden seen golfing with Ukraine gas company exec in 2014. A photo obtained by Fox News' Tucker Carlson Tonight shows former Vice President Joe Biden and his son golfing in the Hamptons with Devin Archer, who served on the board of Ukrainian national gas company Burisma Holding with Hunter.
0: Earlier this month, Joe Biden in Iowa said he never discussed his son's foreign business dealings with him.
1: Hunter told The New Yorker previously that he and his father had spoken just once about Hunter Biden's work in Ukraine. A source close to Archer told Fox News the photo was taken in August 2014. Contemporaneous reports indicate the vice president was in the Hamptons at that time. Hunter Biden and Archer joined the Burisma Holdings board in April 2014. So that w- this would be, you know, four months before this golf trip. Earlier this month, Trump suggested that despite his claims, Joe Biden seemingly discussed Ukraine matters with his son.
0: Again, the description here does not name who this guy in the white shirt is. The vice president, blah, blah, blah. Attorney
1: Rui Giuliani on Sunday suggested Shokin was the target of an international smear campaign to discredit his work. Later, Giuliani said, I have another affidavit, this time from another Ukrainian prosecutor who says that the day after Biden strong-armed the president to remove Shokin, they showed up in the prosecutor's office. Lawyers for Hunter Biden show up in the prosecutor's office, and they give an apology for dissemination of false information. Interesting. Okay, so again, nowhere... I've never noticed this, guys, that in all of these
0: articles... They never name who this guy is. Why do they not name this person? I'm guessing that's the same article. Let's see. Okay, so we okay, this is going to drive me nuts. Who is this guy? Can I filter it to Marco Polo? Wait, who does Marco Polo say it is? Now that won't work. Deadgum it. Um Daily Mail. Okay. Is this uh it says Ukraine gas company executive? He doesn't name him. Yep, again, a Ukraine gas company executive. This is so weird. This is so weird that these articles don't say who he is. John Jr., a Ukraine gas company exec in 2014. Hunter was said to have joined Burisma because former president of Poland,
1: Alexander Kwasniewski, also a Burisma board member, urged him to do so. Put a pin in that name because, well, maybe not on this episode, but we're going to come back and dig into
0: him later. Come on. How do none of these articles say what the exec's name is? I'll give up in just a moment. Well, I won't give up. I'll just move on. <clears throat> it's not Mikhail Zlo- Zlochevsky. He looks, he looks very different from that guy. That's, that's Mikhail Z- Zlochevsky. It doesn't even say Burisma exec. It just says the Ukraine gas executive. All right. Well, David Weiss says this is a lie. One month later, and three years
1: after first reporting on Barisma, the defendant reported bribery allegations against businessperson one and public official one. In June 2020, the handler reached out to the defendant concerning. June, uh, the 2017, 10, 23. So that that first report, this June 23, is what we've learned about last summer with the Oversight Committee. This was done at the request of the FBI's Pittsburgh Field Office. Remember, the FBI was investigating some of these allegations out of the Pittsburgh office. In the first half of 2020, the United States Attorney's Office for the Western District of Pennsylvania, USAO, WDPA, i been tasked by the deputy attorney general of the United States to assist in the, quote, the receipt processing and preliminary analysis of new information provided by the by the public that may be relevant to matters relating to Ukraine. As part of that process. FBI Pittsburgh opened an assessment. The, the name, the number on it is 58A PG three two five zero nine five eight. And in the course of that assessment, identified the 2017 1023 form in FBI holdings and shared it with the U.S. Attorney, Western District of Pennsylvania. USAO WDPA then asked FBI Pittsburgh to reach out to the handler to ask for any further information about the reference in his 2017 1023 that stated, quote, During this call, there was a brief, non relevant discussion about former. President Biden, Vice President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, who is currently on the Board of Directors for Burisma Holdings, then no further information. On or about June 26, 2020, FBI Pittsburgh contacted the handler regarding the 2017 FD-1023 form. That same day, the handler spoke with the defendant, Alexander Smirnov, who was in Los Angeles by telephone. The information the defendant provided the handler was memorialized on a Form 1023 hereafter called the the 2020-1023, an official record of the FBI, which was finalized on June 30th, 2020. Just so for clarity's sake. I'm going to when this comes up, I'm going to call it the 2020 FD-1023 form instead of calling it 2020-1023. It doesn't say I'm just letting you guys know if you're watching the show, I'm going to add in FD 1023 form uh, so that we're clear about we're talking about a document here and it doesn't sound like just a string of numbers. During their call on June 26, 2020, when the handler asked the defendant about the brief non-relevant discussion about former public official one's son, business person one, who is currently on the board of directors for Burisma Holding, the defendant described. The first time, two purported meetings and two purported phone calls with various Burisma executives, where business person one, Hunter, and public official one, Joe, were discussed. The two phone calls were in addition to the one the defendant reported on in 2017 1023, that form from April of that year. This time, rather than passing, rather than a passing reference to Hunter Biden being on Burisma's board the defendant Alexander Smirnov claimed that Burisma executives at two meetings in 2015 and or 2016 during the Obama Biden administration told him that they were paying Hunter Biden to quote protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems and later that they had specifically paid 5 million dollars each to Joe Biden when he was in office and Hunter Biden so that, quote, business person one will take care of all those issues through his dad, referring to a criminal investigation being conducted by then Ukrainian prosecutor general into Burisma and to, quote, deal with then Ukrainian prosecutor general. In describing the phone calls, the defendant claimed that Burisma official one said he was, quote, pushed to pay Joe Biden and Hunter Biden had text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make such payments, and it would take investigators 10 years to find the records of illicit payments to Joe Biden. The defendant made these statements to the handler in June 2020, when public official one was a candidate for president of the United States and the presumptive nominee of one of two major political parties. Critically, the payments the defendant described occurred, according to the defendant, during the Obama-Biden administration in 2016, when public official one, Joe Biden, was in a position of influence, uh, in a position to influence U.S. policy towards Ukraine. And prior to February 2016, when then Ukrainian Prosecutor General was fired, and in any event prior to the change in administration in January 2017. Specifically, the defendant claimed the following about the first and second meetings. First, the first meeting with Burisma executives in Kiev, Ukraine 2015-2016. In late 2015 or 2016, during the Obama-Biden administration, CHS was first introduced to officials at Ukraine natural gas business Burisma Holdings through CHS's associate, Associate One for full identification of Associate 1C attachments to the FD-1023 form serialized on January 2nd, 2018. CHS and Associate 1 traveled to Ukraine and went to Burisma's office that was located 20 minutes away from the city center. The purpose of the meeting was to discuss Burisma's interest in purchasing a U.S.-based oil and gas business for purposes of merging it with Burisma for purposes of conducting an IPO in the U.S., Barisma was willing to purchase a US based entity for $20 to $30 million. At this meeting was CHS, CHS's former business partner, Associate 2, a US person who does not speak Russian, Associate 1, Barisma's chief financial officer, Barisma Official 2, Barisma Official 3, the daughter to Barisma's CEO and founder of Barisma Official 1, and founder. Barisma Official 1, and her husband, FNLNU. The, fin- the conversation was in Russian, and thus Associate 2 did not participate therein. During the meeting, Barisma Official 2 asked CHS whether CHS was aware of Barisma's board of directors. CHS replied no, and Barisma Official 2 advised the board members, included 1. The former president or prime minister of Poland, that's Kwanuski or whatever, to public official one's son, so Hunter Biden. Burisma official two said Burisma hired the former president or prime minister of Poland to leverage his contacts in Europe for prospective oil and gas deals, and they hired business person one, Hunter, to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. CHS was certain Burisma official two provided no further specific details about what that meant. CHS CHS asked why they, Burisma, needed to get CHS's assistance regarding the purchase merger of a U.S.-based company when Hunter Biden was on their board. Burisma official two replied that business person one, Hunter, was not smart, and they wanted to get additional counsel. The group then had a a general conversation about whether the purchase slash merger with a U.S. company would be a good business decision. Meeting with CHS, Associate One, and Burisma Official One in Vienna, Austria in
0: 2016. This is the next part. Approximately one or two
1: months after the aforementioned Burisma meeting in Ukraine, CHS traveled to Vienna, Austria with Associate One and met with Burisma Official One at an outside coffee shop. The trio continued to talk about the feasibility of Burisma acquiring a U.S.-based entity. CHS recalled this meeting took place around the time Public Official One, Joe Biden, made a public statement about then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Shokin being corrupt and that he should be fired or removed from office. CHS told Burisma Official One that due to the then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General's investigation into Burisma, which was made public at this time, it would have a substantial negative impact on Burisma's prospective IPO in the United States. Burisma Official 1 replied something to the effect of, quote, don't worry, business person 1, meaning Hunter, will take care of all of those issues through his dad. CHS did not ask any further questions about what that specifically meant. CHS asked, Burisma Official 1, why Burisma would pay $20 to $30 million to buy a U.S. company for IPO purposes when it would be cheaper to just form a new U.S. entity or purchase a corporate shell that was already listed on an exchange. Burisma Official 1 responded that Hunter advised Burisma it could raise more, much more capital if Burisma purchased a larger U.S.-based business that already had a history in the U.S. in the U.S. oil and gas sector. CHS recalled Burisma Official 1 mentioned some U.S.-based gas businesses in Texas, the names of which CHS did not recall. CHS advised Burisma Official 1 it would be problematic to raise capital in the U.S. given that then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Shokin's investigation into Burisma, as nobody in the U.S. would invest in a company that was the subject of a criminal investigation. CHS suggested it would be best if Burisma simply litigate the matter in Ukraine and pay some attorney $50,000. Burisma Official 1 said he, that he and Burisma would likely lose the trial because he could not show that Burisma was innocent. Burisma Official 1 also laughed at CHS's number of $50,000, not because of the small amount, but because the number contained a 5, and said that it cost $5 million to pay Public Official 1 and $5 million to pay Business Person 1, so Joe and Hunter. CHS noted that at this time, it was unclear to CHS whether these alleged payments were already made. CHS told Burisma Official 1 that any such payments to Public Official 1 and Business Person 1 would complicate matters, and Burisma should hire, quote, some normal U.S. oil and gas advisors because Public Official 1 and Business Person 1 Had no experience with that business sector, meaning the Bidens. Which actually they did because of CEFC, but that's beside the point. Burisma Official One made some comment that although business person one, quote, was stupid, and his Burisma Official One's dog was smarter, Burisma Official One needed to keep Business Person One on the board, quote, so everything will be okay, end quote. CHS inquired whether Business Person 1 or Public Official 1 told Burisma Official 1 he should retain Business Person 1. Burisma Official 1 replied, quote, they both did. CHS reiterated CHS's opinion that Burisma Official 1 was making a mistake and he should fire Hunter and deal with Shokin's investigation directly so that the matter will remain an issue in Ukraine and not turn into some international matter. Business Official 1 responded to something of the effect of, quote, don't worry, this thing will go away anyway. CHS replied that notwithstanding Shokin's investigation, it was still a bad decision for Burisma to spend $20 to $30 million to buy a U.S. business, and that CHS didn't want to be involved with Hunter and Joe's matter. Burisma Official 1 responded that he appreciated CHS's advice, but that it's too late to change this decision. CHS understood this to mean that Burisma Official 1 had already had, had already paid Joe and Hunter to deal with the, with the deal with Shokin. So because he said that,
0: the CHS interpreted it as he already spent the money. There's no going back now. Okay, part E, the defendant's 2020 story was a fabrication.
1: And of course, guys, all of that stuff that I just read, we've all heard those things so many times. Now this is the source of them. We've heard all of those allegations about Joe and Hunter being smart, I mean Hunter being dumb and the dog being smarter, and the five million dollars to each of them and choking. We've all heard all of that, so many times. Now we found this is the source of it. The source of it is this guy, Alexander Smirnov, who told it to his handler. And um, ended up going to Pittsburgh FBI and the Pittsburgh in the um, Pennsylvania U.S. Attorney's office. All oh, of that was done under Trump administration. And um, now Special Counsel Weiss has indicted this guy, the CHS, saying that he lied and
0: he fabricated evidence All right, Part E. The defendant's 2020 story was a fabrication. My throat's getting a tad bit sore, so I'm going to have some Benson candy.
1: You should, too. Hit my link in the link tree. Go to Benson's. Get some candy.
0: Get some honey. Get some soap. (laughs)
1: All right, the defendants claim that, quote, in late 2015-2016 during the Obama-Biden administration, he first met with Burisma Official 2, and that at that meeting, Burisma Official 2 told him that they hired Business Person 1 to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems was false, as he knew. Similarly, the defendants claims that he met with Burisma official 1 quote one or two months later around the time quote public official 1 made a public statement about then ukrainian prosecutor general being corrupt and that he should be fired removed from office which occurred on december 9th 2015 and that at that meeting Burisma official 1 admitted that he had paid business person 1 5 million dollars and public official 1 5 million dollars each so that business person 1 will take care of all those issues through his dad referring to then ukrainian prosecutor general's investigation into Burisma and to deal with then Ukrainian Prosecutor General were false, as the defendant knew. No such statements were made to the defendant because, in truth and in fact, defendant met with officials from Burisma for the first time in 2017.
0: So none of that story can be true because he didn't even meet with these guys back then.
1: Smirnov didn't meet with Didn't meet with the Burisma official or any officials from Burisma until 2017 after Joe was out of office. So, and after the Ukrainian prosecutor general has been fired. So, it doesn't even, the story doesn't make sense. If it can't be proved that the CHS actually met with them back then, then none of what was said in the meeting makes sense. Because they wouldn't be saying all of that after Joe left office and after the bribe was paid, and after Shokin was fired, and he wouldn't be advising them
0: to take a different route after all of that had happened, right? Defendant met with officials from Burisma for the first time
1: in 2017, after public official one left office in January 2017, and after the then-Ukrainian prosecutor general had been fired in February 2016. The timing doesn't make sense. The first meeting the defendant had with officials from Burisma occurred at a time when public official one no longer had the ability to influence U.S. policy and after then Ukrainian prosecutor general was out of office. The defendant's story to the FBI was a fabrication, an amalgam of otherwise unremarkable business meetings and contacts that had actually occurred, but at a later date than he claimed. And for the purpose of pitching Burisma on the defendant's services and products, not for discussing bribes to public official one when he was in office. So not only does special counsel Weiss know when Alexander Smirnov first met with these Burisma officials, he knows the real reason why they met and the real issues that the matters that were really discussed at these meetings.
0: In order for him to bring these charges, he's going to have to prove that. The defendant began to pursue business
1: opportunities. I mean, to get a conviction on these charges, he's going to have to prove that. The defendant began to pursue business opportunities with Burisma in spring 2017 at the earliest and through two associates of his. Associate one was a Ukrainian business consultant. He was introduced to the defendant by a mutual acquaintance who told Associate One that the defendant was an expert in IPOs in the United States. The defendant and Associate One subsequently met in Kiev, Ukraine, and the defendant asked Associate One to connect him to businesses in Ukraine interested in IPOs in the United States. Associate One subsequently identified Burisma as such a company. Associate Two was an American who owned a cryptocurrency business. In the spring of 2017, the defendant presented Burisma to Associate 2 as a company that might be interested in a cryptocurrency product Associate 2 was trying to commercialize. Around this time, the defendant sent Associate 2 a link to the board of directors of Burisma. The defendant specifically called out the fact that Business Person 1, Hunter, was on the board and indicated that because Business Person 1 was on the board, the defendant thought barisma was a company with which they could do business between march 2017 when the defendant first reported on barisma to the handler and june 2020 when he first made his false claims about bribes paid to public official 1 when he was in office directly and through his son businessperson 1 the defendant had a series of routine business contacts with executives at barisma all of these contacts occurred in 2017 and 2018, when Joe Biden was out of office and after the Ukrainian prosecutor general, Viktor Shokin, had been fired. Specifically, the same day that he first reported on Barisma, March 1st, 2017, the defendant messaged the handler a photograph of a
0: business card for Burisma Official 2. And we have a uh, picture of it here. In response, on that same day, the handler asked the defendant,
1: quote, how's Burisma Official 2 fit into the story? To which the defendant responded, this is the guy that will do the public company from their side. The handler then messaged the defendant, quote, looks like the CEO or owner might be barisma official one or someone else. Either sound familiar, to which the defendant responded with the first name of Barisma Official One. The handler then asked the defendant whether he was meeting with Barisma Official One, to, to which the defendant responded, No. The guy that I send the pick um to you, the the business card. So he's meeting with Barisma Official Two. On April 13th, 2017, the handler messaged the defendant asking him, quote, you know who from Burisma will be in the meeting? To which the defendant re- responded, not yet, we'll know after we um, something. I will get the email. Four days later, on April 17, 2017, Associate One sent the defendant and Burisma official two an email introducing them to each other. That same day, Associate One sent another email to Burisma Official 2 summarizing, in general terms, how a company could undertake an IPO in the United States. Honor about April 27, 2017, Burisma, two responded, Burisma Official 2 responded to Associate One's April 17, 2017 email. Burisma Official 2 thanked Associate One for introducing him to the defendant and promised to send the defendant and Associate One information about Burisma's desire to buy an oil and gas company in the United States. On or about May 11, 2017, Burisma Official 4, another Burisma executive, emailed Associate One telling him that Burisma was not interested in pursuing an IPO in the United States and that their priority was acquiring a U.S.-based oil and gas company. Seven days later, on or about May 18, 2017, Associate One forwarded Burisma Official 3's email to the defendant. On July 24, 2017, the defendant messaged the handlers, quote, cutting a deal with Burisma will update you soon, bro. And it's going to be a contract so we can review it first. On September 16, 2017, Associate 2, the individual whom the defendant claimed in the 2020 23 form, attended the first meeting with the defendant, had with Burisma executives in late 2015 or 2016, flew from New York to Kiev via London. Associate 2 remained in Ukraine until September 23, 2017, when he returned to the United States through London. During the six-day period that Associate 2 was in Ukraine, he and the defendant, Alexander Smirnov, met with representatives from Burisma, including Official 3, the daughter of Burisma's owner, um, Burisma Official 1, to discuss cryptocurrency or a cryptocurrency product. The meeting was in Russian, and on the drive back from Barisma's headquarters, the defendant described to Associate 2 what had been discussed. The defendant told Associate 2 that the Barisma representatives were not interested in the cryptocurrency product the defendant and Associate 2 were selling and were instead trying to find an oil and gas company in the United States that Barisma could purchase the defendant did not describe to associate to any discussion of business person one or public official one during this meeting. So Joe Biden and Hunter Biden did not come up at all. On September 19th, 2017 the defendant messaged the handler photographs of business cards for Barisma official three and the, the person the defendant claimed to be, he met at the first meeting in July, in late 2015 or 2016 during the Obama Biden administration who is Burisma official four, the individual who had sent an email to associate one, which associate one then forwarded to the defendant in May, 2017 as described above. I know this is all getting kind of convoluted a little bit, but the main thing is that what he described being discussed at that meeting in Kiev doesn't match what he, what like his stories are not lining up. What the, they're not lining up as far as the content that was discussed, and they're not lining up as far as who was at the meeting. After the September 2017 meeting, Associate 2 prepared a document outlining steps that Barisma could take in order to acquire a company in the United States and use it for an IPO. Associate 2 sent this document to the defendant on September 22, 2017. Associate 2's trip to Kiev in September 2017 was the first time he had left North America since 2011. Thus, he could not have attended a
0: meeting in Kiev, as the defendant claimed. His trip to Ukraine in September
1: 2017 was more than seven months after Joe Biden had left office and more than a year after Viktor Shokin had been fired. So the story doesn't make sense. On January twenty third, twenty eighteen, associate two flew from Los Angeles to London. During the previous week, on January sixteenth, twenty eighteen, the defendant messaged associate two, asking him, quote, "Brother, send me the name of the place in London, please." To which associate two replied, "Baglioni." The January twenty fifth, twenty eighteen, on January twenty fifth, twenty eighteen, the defendant attempted to call associate two. Associate 2 responded, quote, downstairs getting breakfast, and the defendant responded, cool, see you in a few. Both the defendant and Associate 2 were staying at the Hotel Baglioni in London at the time. When Associate 2 was with the defendant in London, the defendant told Associate 2 that he had received a call from the owner of Burisma, Burisma Official 1, and that Burisma Official 1 was interested in doing business with them. On January 26, 2018, Associate 2 flew from London to Kiev, staying until January 30th, 2018. During that five-day time period, the defendant and Associate 2 traveled to Burisma headquarters. Once there, they had a brief meeting with Burisma Official 2, who told them that Burisma was not interested in their cryptocurrency product. Burisma Official 2 spoke English during the meeting, and Associate 2 was able to participate. At no point during this meeting between the defendant, Associate Two, and Burisma Official Two, did Burisma Official Two tell the defendant that Burisma had hired Hunter to, quote, protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. As described above, all the contacts that the defendant had with Burisma occurred no earlier than spring 2017, after the end of the Obama Biden administration. Notably, the defendant was only introduced to Burisma Official 2 via email on or about April 17th, 2017. Therefore, the defendant's claim that he had met with a business official or Burisma Official 2 in late 2015 or 2016 during the Obama-Biden administration was false because if the defendant had met Burisma Official 2 then, he would not have needed Associate 1 to introduce him to business official, Burisma Official 2 in April 2017. And Burisma official two would not have thanked associate one for introducing them in April,
0: 2017. Boom. Boom. Not only does the defendant's story not make sense. If it were true, none of these other people's emails would make sense. As to the second
1: meeting, the one that supposedly happened in Vienna, Contrary to what the defendant told the handler, Associate One did not meet with the defendant and Burisma Official One at a cafe in Vienna around the time that Public Official One, quote, made a public statement about Ukrainian prosecutor general being corrupt and that he should be fired or removed from office, which occurred in December 2015. In fact, Associate One has never
0: met or spoken with Burisma Official One. Further,
1: the defendant did not travel to Vienna, quote, around the time Public Official One made a public statement about the then Ukrainian prosecutor general being corrupt and that he should be fired removed from office, which occurred in December 2015. When the handler interviewed the defendant on June 26, 2020, the defendant also falsely told the handler that he had two phone calls with Burisma Official One One in 2016 or 2017, shortly after the U.S. election, but before the end of the Obama-Biden administration, and a second one in 2019. The following is what the defendant told the handler about those two calls that were also memorialized in the 2020 FD-1023 form.
0: Subsequent phone calls between CHS and Burisma official. 2016-2017 2016-2017 phone call shortly after the
1: 2016 U.S. election and during public official two transition period. So that would be Trump transition period, uh, so December, January. CHS participated in a conference call with Associate One and Burisma Official One. CHS inquired whether Burisma Official One was happy with the U.S. election results. Burisma official one replied that he was not happy. He was not happy that Trump won the election. Yep. Okay, yeah, public official two is, is Trump. The CHS asked Burisma official one whether he was concerned about Burisma's involvement with Joe and Hunter. Burisma official one stated he didn't want to pay Joe Biden and Hunter, and he was pushed to pay them. CHS explained the Russian term Burisma Official 1 used to explain the payments was poluchili, translated by the CHS, which literally translates to got it or received it, which is also used in Russian criminal slang for being forced or coerced to pay. Burisma Official 1 stated then-Ukrainian prosecutor general had already been fired and no investigation was currently going on. And that nobody would find out about his financial dealings with the public official one with Joe and Hunter. CHS then stated, quote, I hope you have some backup proof for your words, namely that Burisma official one was forced to pay public official one and business person one. Burisma official one replied, he has many text messages and recordings that show that he was coerced to make such payments. Subsequently, CHS reporting, blah, blah, blah. CHS told Burisma Official 1 he should make certain that he should retain those recordings. Burisma Official 1 asked whether it would make any legal difference whether he voluntarily made such payments or if he was forced to make them. Burisma Official 1 then asked CHS whether CHS could provide any assistance in Ukraine with the blank regime. I guess... Uh, Zelensky regime, if something were to happen to Burisma Official One in the future, CHS replied that CHS didn't want to get involved in any such matters. Note See previous CHS report dated March 1st, 2017, Serial 7, wherein CHS reported the foregoing and stated the call took place during the week of February 27, 2017. At that time, CHS stated that Burisma Official One briefly discussed Hunter but the topic was not relevant to Burisma's interest in acquiring a U.S.-based petroleum business for $50 to $100 million. At this time, CHS also reported aforementioned Burisma Official 2 was assigned by Burisma to manage the acquisition, and he was planning to travel to Washington, D.C. in March 2017. 2019 telephone phone call, or telephone call, after the aforementioned 2016 telephone call, CHS had no interactions with Barisma officials uh, whatsoever until 2019. In 2019, CHS met with Associate One in London to discuss various business matters, which had nothing to do with Barisma Official One, Burisma, or the gas and oil industry. CHS noted that CHS's meeting with Associate One took place at a, quote, a Russian coffee house near Knightsbridge Street located near Harrods department store and that Associate One's fiance lives in London. At some point during this meeting, Associate One advised CHS he was going to call Burisma Official One. At this time, CHS understood Burisma Official One was living somewhere in Europe. During the call, Burisma Official One asked CHS and or Associate One If they read the recent news reports about the investigations into Joe and Hunter and Burisma and Burisma official one jokingly asked CHS if CHS was an Oracle due to CHS's prior advice that Burisma official one should not pay Joe and Hunter and interest instead to hire an attorney to litigate the allegations concerning the then Ukraine prosecutor general investigation. CHS mentioned Burisma Official 1 might have difficulty explaining suspicious wire transfers that may evidence any illicit payments to Joe and Hunter. Burisma Official 1 responded he did not send any funds directly to the big guy, quote-unquote, which CHS understood was a reference to Joe Biden. CHS also asked Burisma Official 1 how many companies' bank accounts Barisma controls, or Burisma Official 1 controls. Burisma Official 1 responded it would take them 10 years to find the records. CHS told Burisma Official 1 if he ever needed help in the future and wanted to speak to somebody in the U.S.
0: government about that matter, that CHS could introduce him to someone. Regarding the seemingly
1: open and unsolicited admissions by Burisma Official 2 and Burisma Official 1 about the purpose for their retention of Business Person 1, Hunter, and the, quote, forced payments, Prism official one made to Joe Biden, and Hunter Biden. CHS explained it is very common for businessmen in post-Soviet countries to brag or show off. Additionally, it is extremely common for businesses in Russia and Ukraine to make, quote, bribe payments to various government officials. CHS noted that in corporate budgets for other Russian and Ukrainian businesses, which CHS has inspected in the past, CHS observed budget line items, in Russian called podmazat, translated by CHS, which literally translates to oil, lubricate, or make things run smoothly, which companies routinely use to account for anticipated bribe payments. As such, given the pervasive necessity to bribe government officials in Ukraine and Russia, CHS did not perceive Burisma Official 2's or Burisma Official 1's statements to be unusual, self-serving, or pretextual. Additionally, regarding important business meetings, it is also common in Ukraine and Russia for persons to make covert recordings. However, CHS has only met Burisma Official 1 in person on one occasion and has spoken to him only twice on the telephone. As such, CHS is not able to provide any further opinion as to the veracity of Burisma Official 1's aforementioned statements.
0: Okay, That's the end of that report. Associate One never spoke to Burisma Official One on the phone or in person. Therefore,
1: the defendant's claim that Associate One called Burisma Official in 2019 is false for that reason as well. Well, dang. Moreover, at no point when the defendant was messaging the handler in May 2020 about Public Official One, Joe Biden, did he mention that he had had two purported meetings with Public Official One or when public official one was in office, when Joe was in office in the United States where Burisma executives told him that they paid business person one Hunter to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. And later that they had specifically paid $5 million each to public official one and business person one. So that business person one will take care of all those issues through his dad, referring to a criminal investigation being conducted by Victor Shokin into to and to deal with Shokin. Um, nor did he tell the handler he had two subsequent phone calls where Burisma official one told him that he had been forced to pay public official one and business person one, that it would take investigators 10 years to find records of illicit payments to public official one. This was despite the defendant's stated interest in proving to the handler that the bribe had occurred and his offer to go to Ukraine to meet with the guys, quote unquote, to obtain incriminating evidence of business person one Hunter telling Burisma officials that his father would quote, take care of then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Victor Shokin. On June 29, 2020, the defendant provided further supplemental information to the handler concerning his allegations. These were memorialized in the 2020 FD-1023 form before it was finalized and consisted of the following. This is from the, the form. Regarding CHS's aforementioned reporting, that Barisma. wait, hold on just a moment, This is from the, the 2020 FD 1023 form. Just wanted to make sure I didn't misunderstand that. Regarding the CHS's aforementioned reporting, that Barisma Official One said, quote, he has many text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make such payments. CHS clarified Barisma Official One said he had a total of 17 recordings. So this is
0: this is Lochevsky, isn't it? Business official one is um Zlochevsky. Because I seem to remember him making that claim. I'm pretty sure it's Zlochevsky.
1: So this is Mar- Chuck Grassley revealed Monday from the Senate floor. The Ukrainian owner of Burisma allegedly made 17 audio recordings.
0: Identify with individuals with knowledge as Mykola Zlochevsky. So the person that
1: allegedly, that the CHS is alleging in this whole document, Burisma official one is... Mikola Zlochevsky. Mikola. Mikola Zlochevsky. So all these times we've been saying Burisma Official 1, that's Mikola Zlochevsky. Okay, so regarding CHS's, Alexander Smirnov's aforementioned reporting that Mikola Zlochevsky said he has many text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make payments. CHS clarified, Zlochevsky said he had a total of 17 recordings involving Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Two of the recordings included Joe Biden and the remaining 15 recordings only included Hunter. CHS reiterated that per Zlochevsky, these recordings evidence Zlochevsky was somehow coerced into paying Joe and Hunter to ensure that then-Ukraine Prosecutor General Shokin was fired. Risma Official 1 stated he has two documents. Which CHS understood to be wire transfer statements, bank records, et cetera, that evidence some payment to public official one and business person one um, that were made presumably in exchange for then Ukrainian prosecutor general firing. Regarding aforementioned associate
0: one, alternate spelling, alternate spelling. Huh. Who is associate one? Who is associate one? I'll dig on that. Who originally introduced CHS into this matter?
1: Associate One currently, quote, works in some office for the administration of Blank and also works for Blank, who is the founder CEO of a cryptocurrency and blockchain technology business.
0: Who is this guy? Who is it? Alexander Ostapenko. Yes. climate audit figured it out i knew somebody had so alexander ostapinko is associate one
1: burisma official two is bozarski burisma three is lochevsky's daughter associate
0: two is a u.s person who does not speak russian and is smirnov's former partner okay Alexander Ostapenko. Okay. Let's go back to it. After the defendant made these reports, the FBI asked him for travel
1: records, which he provided, in an attempt to determine whether the information he provided was accurate. By August 2020, so this this came out in June, right? End of June, June 30th, June 29th. By August, FBI Pittsburgh concluded that all reasonable steps have been completed regarding the defendant's allegations and that their assessment should be closed. On August 12th, 2020, FBI Pittsburgh was informed that then-FBI Deputy Director and then-Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General of the United States concurred that it should be closed. That would be Richard Donahue and uh, someone else. The defendant was interviewed by FBI. This is part F. The defendant was interviewed by FBI investigators in September 2023 and repeated some of his false claims, changed his story as to other of his claims,
0: and um, promoted a new false narrative after meeting with Russian officials. In July 2023,
1: the FBI requested that the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Delaware assist the FBI in an investigation of allegations related to the 2020 FD 1023 form. At that time, the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Delaware was handling an investigation and prosecution of Hunter Biden. On August 11, 2023, the Attorney General appointed Davis C. Weiss, the United States Attorney for the District of Delaware, as special counsel. The special counsel was authorized to conduct the investigation and prosecution of Hunter Biden, as well as quote any matters that arose from that investigation or may arise from the special counsel's investigation or that with are in the scope of 28 CFR 6004 a which is how we got here. On August 29, 2023, FBI investigators spoke with the handler
0: in reference to the 2020 FD-1023 form. During that investigation, during that conversation,
1: the handler indicated that he and the defendant had reviewed the 2020 FD-1023 form following its public release by members of Congress in July 2020 or July 2023 and the defendant reaffirmed the accuracy of the statements contained in it. So three years later, the defendant still says, Alexander Smith still stands by what is in that form. The handler provided investigators with messages he had with the defendant, including the ones described above. Additionally, the handler identified and reviewed with the defendant travel records associated with both associate Two and the defendant. The travel records were inconsistent with what the defendant had previously told the handler that was memorialized in the 2020 FD-1023 form. The defendant also provided email communications with both Associate 2 and Burisma personnel beginning in 2017 to the handler, which the handler reviewed with the defendant and shared with FBI investigators. The defendant was interviewed by FBI investigators on September 27, 2023. At the start of the interview, the defendant was warned of his duty
0: to tell the truth pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 1001. The defendant repeated his claim that his first meeting with Burisma was much earlier
1: than 2017. He further told investigators that the first meeting was arranged after Associate One, Ostapinko, called him and said that a company wanted to enter the U.S. market either through an IPO or an acquisition. The defendant repeated the claim that Barisma official two was at this meeting, and possibly Barisma official four, based on the defendant's recent review of his messages with the handler that included an image of Barisma official 4's business card, as described above. The defendant told investigators that during this meeting, Barisma official two said something to the effect of, quote, "Did you see my board? I'm not going to be fucked," and that one member of the board was the son of Joe Biden. The defendant told investigators that Burisma official two said, quote, I am paying for familia, which the defendant said was a reference to family or last name. Later in the interview, the defendant said he was 100% certain that associate one, Ostapinko, attended the first meeting. The defendant also told investigators that while he had initially recalled two Barisma meetings, after reviewing associate 2's travel records provided by the handler, along with the email that the defendant found, the defendant concluded that there were maybe two to five meetings. Later in the interview, the defendant said he did recall that associate two was present for two meetings. The defendant told investigators that he had a meeting with Burisma official one at a coffee shop in a German speaking country, possibly Vienna, as he had previously reported after the 2016 election. So, so in late 2016, that'd be November or December, right? Then he told investigators he could not recall when it occurred. And then, when shown the emails he had with associate one as described above, stated he thought it was after those, which would put it in 2017. So his story wouldn't make sense if it was in 2017. Notably, these new and inconsistent statements arose only after the defendant had received messages, emails, and travel information that were in direct conflict with what he reported in the 2020 FD-1023 form. The defendant also told investigators that the meeting in the German-speaking country, possibly Vienna, occurred because Associate One told the defendant that Burisma Official One wanted to meet, and the defendant agreed. Later in the interview, he told investigators that this meeting occurred before the then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General resigned, which was in early 2016. The defendant told investigators he did not recall talking to Burisma Official 1, Zlochevsky, ever again after the meeting in the German-speaking country and did not have any phone calls with Barisma Official 1 after this meeting. The defendant told investigators that he had asked the then-Ukrainian pro- U- then president to arrange a meeting between himself and Shokin to talk about Burisma. The defendant told investigators that this meeting occurred before the then Ukrainian prosecutor general resigned, which was early 2016. The defendant also told investigators this meeting occurred before the, his meeting with the Abrisma official one Ostapinko, in the coffee shop in the German speaking country. The defendant told investigators that after he met with then Ukrainian prosecutor general, he met with the then Ukrainian president. The defendant did not provide any of this
0: information to the handler back in 2020. So seems like things he would have mentioned back then, right? <laughs> seems like seems like if he met with the
1: president of Ukraine and the prosecutor general, he would have mentioned that back in 2020. The defendant also shared a news story with investigators. He wanted them to look into whether businessperson Hunter Biden was recorded in a hotel in Kiev called the Premier Palace. The defendant told investigators that the entire Premier Palace hotel is wired. And under the control of the Russians. The defendant claimed that business person one went to the hotel many times and that he had seen video footage of Hunter entering the premier palace hotel. The defendant suggested that investigators check to see if Hunter made telephone calls from the premier palace hotel, since those calls would have been recorded by the Russians. The defendant claimed to have obtained this information a month earlier by calling a high level official in a foreign country. The defendant also claimed to have learned this information from four different Russian officials. The defendant told investigators that the four different Russian officials are all top officials and two are the heads of the entities they represent. These Russians said that conversations with Ukrainians about ending the war will include the next U.S. election. The defendant told investigators he is involved in negotiations over ending the war and had been for the previous four months. According to the defendant, the Russians want Ukraine to assist in influencing the U.S. election. The defendant thinks the tapes of businessperson one, Hunter, at the Premier Palace Hotel is all they have. The defendant told investigators he wants them to ask Hunter how many times he visited and what he did while at the Premier Palace Hotel. Hunter has never traveled to Ukraine. The few Burisma board meetings that Businessperson 1 Hunter did attend were all outside of Ukraine. At the conclusion of the interview, the defendant was asked if he wanted to clarify or correct anything he had stated during his interview,
0: and the defendant said that he did not need to clarify or correct anything he had stated. So <laughs> instead of just sticking to his story, which was already provably false from 2020,
1: he stuck to it and then added on to it and then came up with a brand new story that was
0: even more outlandish. All right, count one, false statement.
1: That on or about June, June 26, 2020, the defendant did willfully and knowingly make a materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement and representation in a matter within the jurisdiction of the executive branch of the United States when he said that in late 2015, 2016, during the Obama-Biden administration, he met with Barisma official two, and that at that meeting, Barisma official two told him that Burisma hired Hunter to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. These were false, and he knew it. The defense claimed that he met with Burisma Official 1, Zlochevsky, one or two months later in Vienna, Austria, around the time that Joe Biden made a public statement about Shokin being corrupt and that he should be fired or removed from office, which occurred on December 9, 2015, and that at that meeting, Burisma Official 1 admitted that he had paid Business Person 1 $5 million and Public Official 1 $5 million so that Business Person 1 will take care of all those issues through his dad Referring to then Ukrainian prosecutor general's investigation into Burisma and to deal with then prosecutor general, general Chokin were false, and the defendant knew that. Defendants claimed that he had a telephone call with Burisma Official One in 2016 or 2017, wherein Burisma Official One stated he did not want to pay public official one and business person W. Joe and Hunter, but he was pushed to pay and that Burisma Official 1 had text messages and recordings that show this is false, and he knew it. Defendants claims that in 2019, he was present when Associate 1 called Zlochevsky, and Burisma Official 1 stated, Zlochevsky stated, that he did not send any funds directly to, quote, the big guy, and that Burisma Official 1 stated it would take them 10 years to find the records. It's false, and he knew it. The statements and representations were false because Alexander Smirnov then and there knew A, the defendant met with officials from Burisma for the first time in 2017 after the end of the Obama-Biden administration. Public official 1, Joe Biden, was a private citizen at that time, had no ability to protect Burisma from all kinds of problems, and there was no discussion of Joe Biden or Hunter at this first meeting with Burisma. B, the defendant's second meeting with officials from Burisma also occurred in 2017, not at the end of 2015, when Joe made public statements critical of Ukrainian Prosecutor General's office. The second meeting also occurred after Public Official 1 left office and after the then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General had been fired in February 2016. Like the first meeting, the second meeting... The defendant had, with officials from Burisma, occurred at a time when Joe Biden no longer had the ability to influence U.S. policy. The defendant also did not travel to Vienna, Austria in December 2015, as he claimed. And there was no discussion of Public Official 1 or Business Person 1 at this second meeting. As to the phone calls with Burisma Official 1, Solchevsky, in 2016 or 2017 and then again in 2019, in a subsequent interview with law enforcement in 2023, the defendant told investigators he had never spoken to Zlochevsky on the phone after meeting with Zlochevsky in a German-speaking country in 2016, and that his last contact with Zlochevsky was that meeting in early 2016. Further, Associate 1 Ostapinko never spoke to Zlochevsky on the phone or in person in 2019 or at any other time. Sounds like they could charge um sounds like David Weiss could charge Smirnov with multiple counts of lying, right? Like not just this one. He could charge him with like each one of these is a lie, I think. But I don't know, maybe not. Maybe that maybe you can't really get away with that. All right, count two. False records. 18 USC, 1519, falsification of records in a federal investigation. Between on or about June 26th and 30th, 2020, in the Central District of California, the defendant, Alexander Smirnov, did knowingly cause the making of a false entry in an FBI Form 1023, a record and document with the intent to impede, obstruct, and influence a matter that the defendant knew and contemplated was within the jurisdiction of the DOJ. Signed, Special Counsel David C. Weiss and then Leo J. Wise, Derek E. Hines, Sean F. Merlin,
0: okay, and Christopher M. Regali, assistant special counsels. All right. So I want to. Um, I think what I want to do is end it. End it right here for today. And then we have a lot
1: more to go through, but I think that this, this episode's been long enough. And, um, this is a lot to to take in. Mostly because it challenges our, our previously held beliefs and so much information that has been, I mean, basically it's been repeated so much by media and people on the right, including myself, including myself. Right. um, that we thought things were one way. And we thought all of this stuff that was alleged in that 1023, we thought that was all real. We thought that all of that happened. And now we're learning that no, that didn't happen. It was all a lie, which causes us to question a number other, of other things. So um, I completely reject people who are reacting to this news and just saying, well, Weiss is engaging in a cover-up. You can't believe any of this. This is BS. Weiss is crooked. Like to me, that is the um, that's a cop out. To put it politely, um, instead, the right thing to do, I think, is see what we can make fit. Uh, to analyze this with an eye towards, okay, assuming all of this is true, what else does it does it tell us? And I think it circles back to dark hatch, which is why I started this show talking about dark hatch. I think it goes back to Rudy Giuliani going to Ukraine, and um, him looking for um, evidence of election interference. I think it has to do with the perfect phone call between Trump and Zelensky. Um, I've mentioned many times in this show that originally the Steele dossier and the allegations against Trump were intended to be for, or were intended to be against Biden that Hillary Clinton and the Podesta group were purchasing dirt on the Bidens in Ukraine. And then they ended up switching it to use it. And then once Biden wasn't going to run for president, they, they changed their dirt up and made it fit Trump. And that became the Steele dossier and all of that. I think all of this goes right back to that stuff. And it goes back to the Mueller special counsel it goes back to Rudy and his trips to Ukraine, Trump's phone call, the Ukraine impeachment, um all of this, guys. all of this. like It's time, like this right here is a moment not to react and just totally discount what Special Counsel Weiss has brought to us. It's a moment to go back and retrace our steps to see if we went off somewhere and to see how this connects back then. The other thing. Remember where we were last summer when Hunter Biden was offered that golden plea deal that fell apart. And remember, I have said since then that it was designed to fall apart. Special counsel Weiss knew it would fall apart. He meant for it to fall apart. He knew that in that hearing, the judge was going to go through it line by line and that Trump's attorney, I mean, that Hunter Biden's attorneys were going to say that it applied to everything, including Farah, investigation, and he knew that his attorneys for the DOJ were going to say, nope, it doesn't apply to the FAR investigation. It applies to the gun charge and the tax stuff, and that's it. And Hunter Biden's attorneys were going to throw a fit and walk. The plea deal was going to get blown up. It was meant to get blown up. And now what's happened? Hunter has been indicted on the gun charge over in Delaware, and he's been indicted on the tax charges in California. I to my sense of this since it first came out is that there's this, it's going to, it's going to be like that. This reminds me of that plea deal and that everybody is thinking this is taking this as one way and they're all reing about it. Remember how media on the right reacted and threw a hissy fit over that plea deal only for it to blow up and then Hunter gets hit with instead of a couple of misdemeanors he gets hit with all these felonies I think it's the same thing with this I'm not saying this is going to blow up but I'm, I'm saying that I think that is how Weiss is playing this game where it's like there's a chess move that causes one reaction and the reaction um, is followed by a much bigger reveal and a much bigger happening to put it in a very simple way. Um, But I very, I just, my intuition, my intuition is on fire with just that feeling of, this is just like that plea deal. And so I think that this is the first shoe to drop and the next shoe that drops is going to, it's going to be so much bigger. And, but, but Weiss is leading with this first one to address all these false charges And the usual suspects on the right are going to say it's a cover-up, special counsel Weiss is an idiot, DOJ corrupt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then pretty soon afterwards, there's going to be something else that blows up and it's all going to make sense. And just like with the plea deal, everybody read about that. And now what's happened? Hunter's been hit with all these felonies. So everybody's going to read about this with Smirnov. There's something else that's going to come after this. I think that's, that's what my intuition is telling me. So, all right, I'll be back soon with another episode uh, regarding this because we have much more to cover. Uh, God bless. Y'all have a great day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. I'll see you later.